and we'll call it a three, two. Greetings, welcome, and thanks for whenever you're. Damn it. Okay, Rusty. <laughs> let's try this again. Ready? Three, it's two, been one. a long time. It has been a long time. All right. And now your hosts, David Delo Lopez and Jason Smith. This is the Metalist. Greetings and thanks for listening to this. Whenever you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, the Metalist Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jason. Today we're going to talk about a band that's near and dear to, if uh, SoundScan's got anything to say, lots and lots <laughs> and lots of people's hearts. Everybody's hearts, man. Yeah. Um, we're talking about Bon Jovi. On that note, New Jersey's own. Yeah. Okay, so I got a question actually to start this off, and it because I'm gonna forget if I don't say it now. All right, There's let's do a it. is it Springsteen or Bon Jovi that has a stadium named after them in in Jersey? Oh wow, uh, I don't know. I, I dude, I I bet it's gotta be Springsteen. I mean, he was kind of like the first New Jersey boy. That's what I would think too. <laughs> you know, That's yeah. I, I don't know what to call it, but like you know, New Jersey's own kind of thing. Like yeah, he kind of. I mean, you can't really put New Jersey on the map, but I mean, he kind of did for music, I guess. Yeah. And and then the next big one was Bon Jovi. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was just like, man, because I've seen the logo and I'm just like, I just got, I should have thought of this earlier, but Springsteen Stadium. Anyways. Like, I mean, they had a fucking album called New Jersey for fuck's sakes. Yeah. They're pretty, they're pretty stoked on it, you know? Yeah. Shit, baby. It is Bon Jovi. Anyways. So, let's get into it. When was the first, I should say, when was your first experience with Bon Jovi? Uh, shout out to my older sister, Angie, who I think we, oh, let's see, I think she was shouted out in the, in the Journey episode, but, I mean, Bon Jovi's her favorite band. As far as I know, that's her all-time favorite. I'm pretty sure she'd marry him in a second. No offense to any other dude she's been with, but, like, whatever. You're not John Bon Jovi. Um, but she's the first person I ever heard play it. It was, and it was, if I remember right, I mean, it was in 1984, and it was Runaway. Hmm. As far as I know, I mean, I guess the way that I heard it, I was trying to confirm it on Wikipedia, but fucking there's just so much to fucking read on here. Oh, yeah. I was like, holy shit, dude. But absolutely. As far as I know, the way the story went was he recorded Runaway on his own. Like it was in his cousin's studio or something like that. And it was just yeah. like studio dudes. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't even really have a band. And I mean, he, sh- he shopped it to like different radio stations and stuff. And like it kind of took off. And then I guess what happened was he, um, he got onto. Basically, I mean, it was uh, for all intents and purposes, dude's a mixtape. Yeah, you know, he, right. he got on some compila- he got it on some compilation tape. I don't know if it's a situation where like a lot of you know, a lot of times, a lot of ba- our band friends will know. I mean, 
you know, you pay the money and it gets onto this mix, you know, CD. I mean, this used to be the big thing. Nowadays, for, for people nowadays, younger listeners, man, like that would be like the same as, you know, whenever you're listening to one of these like new core or new metal fucking um, playlists on Spotify, a lot of those same deal. The band or a playlist broker of some kind will pay a bunch of money. And essentially what it is, someone's like, I mean, in this case, Spotify would say like, hey, if you give us X amount of money, we'll put you on this playlist. And the and the purpose of it is, is you'll get someone like, you know, they could say, well, we're going to charge $500. And you're like, well, what the fuck? Like, who's going to listen to this? Why, why is it costing so much? Well, maybe they have Foo Fighters in the playlist. Right. Or maybe they have Agrippa bands, like, you know, fucking Slayer and Judas Priest and blah, blah, blah. Right. So they have all these bands in this playlist that's going to bring the listeners to the playlist or whatever. And, you know, oh, we got sick artwork, blah, blah, blah. You pay the money and then your song's like right next to them. So you get on these playlists and you see some of these bands that you've never heard of. You go to their their Spotify page and they don't have a whole lot of listeners. They're or they're like a really new band or something. And you're like, well, how the fuck? <laughs> Why is this on here? Yeah, and it's it's because they probably paid a certain amount of money to be on there, and that's kind of how mixtapes were back in the day. That's on. I mean, payola was illegal, air quotes. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that was that was still going on. It probably is still going on. Oh, and, for uh, sure. So that's what he did, and I mean, this thing got so big, he basically had to get a band. Yeah, and I think the only person that he really knew. At the time, like as far as like people that were in the band was the keyboard player. Yeah, that's how it seemed. It, it seems like everybody that was on the demo recordings or whatever got kind of turned over, except maybe him. The original dude that played on the demo versions of, if it wasn't one of the songs, maybe all of them was uh, the dude that eventually after that was the Skid Row guy from what I saw, Sabo. Something yeah, like Dave that. Sabo. Like, so that was the thing. Like, he played lead guitar on a short tour supporting Runaway the song so i don't know what that tour looks like different time you know maybe he's just opening up with the one song maybe he's got two songs or whatever you know and then yeah he went on to uh he went on to go he actually formed skid row who along with cinderella was the other two big new jersey metal you know bands or whatever but Mm -hmm. but yeah they they got the um he knew the keyboard player i knew that after that it was the bass player I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Alec John Such. And then they grabbed uh, Tico Torres, who's the drummer. And I guess he was the only one that really had, like, pretty much any experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you look oh, at the wait, credits well, he had before that, dude, it's very impressive. I guess I don't know what, I don't know what uh, Sambora, you know, was as far as, like, prior to Bon Jovi. But I do believe... Richie Sambora had been playing out a little bit with something. I don't know what it was, but right. But yeah, he he basically had to make a band because he made this song. <laughs> this song of his got so popular so quick that it was just like, oh shit! <laughs> it's like, I guess I better fucking make a band now, which is but, just yeah. like the total opposite of every other way that it happens. Yeah, no kidding. Very special. You're like, have you ever heard of anything like? I mean, I've never heard of anything like that. But my sister played "Runaway" for me. She had the whole tape. I do remember listening to the tape. I just don't remember liking much of it. And I just listened to. I mean, we've been putting this episode off for quite a while. You know, we you know, 
apologies to the fans. I mean, we haven't put out an episode in a while, but I, dude, I'm not an idiot. I'm not listening to Bon Jovi that much. <laughs> you know, fuck that. But yeah, but I mean, I've listened to the first album like several times since, man. And I mean, it's it's not up to par with the song Runaway. The rest of the album? Yeah. Yeah. Not not that Runaway is like super special or by any means. I just I just think that um there's a reason that was a single and I've kinda got the idea from their whole catalog that they are one of those bands where I mean there's it's really just it's the singles. You know? Yeah, well so spoiler alert, I don't have any singles on my um my list because oh, you went all deep cuts? I w- yeah because I've heard those songs so much that I just don't care anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let, let's let's get through the rest of your thing because I have a whole separate relationship with all that. But no, I mean this was all during the time. You know, I mean, I don't think at the time. I think the next thing I heard was "Slippery When Wet," which I mean, if you were my age or above at that time, like that was all. Like it was huge, huge, huge. And uh, to the point where I don't think a lot of people knew about 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit, which I think now that I say that out loud, sounds like a really fucking weird name. Well, did uh, you read what the origin of it is? No, I I have no idea. The temperature that, that rock melts. That's wow. the kind of cheese ball shit they were going <laughs> well, with. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, There's whatever. some fascinating That's... stories to be had. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean... That's how it goes. It's just, it's funny, man. Cause it's like that album just kind of like, you know, and then, you know, Slippery When Wet was out and it was like, you know, then it was like, okay, well, you know, then you're running into people that, well, I liked the album before that, you know, and it's just like, okay, whatever, you know, and, uh, and you start hearing stuff like Only Lonely and In and Out of Love and, Oh, was that other one? Silent Night was another one. And it was like, okay. Like, I mean, I, I do feel like that's a better album than the first one. But I mean, the first one, I, I can't imagine it would, it, it, it probably just came together so quickly because it kind of had to. They had to get Runaway out there. Like, it was blowing up the fucking charts. So hurry up and write a fucking album. It's like, all right, cool. And I mean, it kind of sounds like they hurried up and wrote an album. Yeah, I uh, I don't think I'd actually heard any of the songs off of 7800 Fahrenheit, like, ever, until we were doing research for this. Really? Yeah. It's just like, it's like yeah, you they, said. They don't get a like, whole lot of love. Yeah. This, or, like you said, the first album, apparently um, Runaway's the only song that they played live post the album's release, just because, like, they apparently weren't too impressed with the the first two albums either especially by the time you hit like a, a zeitgeist album such as slippery when wet right like you just kind of want to ignore the past and keep moving forward it's the same reason right. uh cattle only plays stuff from the first or the last two or three albums at this point now dude it's all yeah about there's the a point where if you if you change a lot and you get super different yeah just doesn't make a lot of sense to go back to that. Apparently there is one album or the one song from that first album that did make it into the set list years later for like an anniversary thing. And it's actually huh. on my list. And we're going to get into that later. Yeah. What's your first exposure? So it's, it's one of those Kinda things. I'm curious I about this. Yeah. I, it's, it's one of those things. Like I don't have a clear cut. I mean, one thing is very clear cut, but like, I just, it's, you hear the name a lot as a kid of a musical act, but you haven't actually heard the, the music yet. You just hear that name and it's ever present and you kind of build this thing up in your head. 
And I've been trying to figure out what show this was. So if any listener knows or remembers or can just find it, let me know. But it was some late night show, Leno Letterman. I, that's probably all it was back in the day. You know, it was really only those two. And it was, okay, special musical guest Bon Jovi. And I finally get to hear it. And I'm just like, okay, this is not what I thought I would, was getting at all. It's, this ain't a love song off of um, that oh, one man. album from 95, you know, like, which was a huge departure for them. But I had no idea because that's all I heard at the time. And up to that point, you know, I remember that album cover everywhere, man, from when I was a kid. What was it called? Um, the 1995 album. Let's see. Wait, okay, so keep not not. Keep I'm just processing thing. this real quick. <laughs> so the first song of theirs you ever heard was "This Ain't a Love Song," the live rendition <laughs> on whatever late show it was too. So you, you got to understand that's my. I'm surprised you ever listened to them again. I, say- it's, it's not by choice. This is the first time <laughs> I've ever done it by choice, and I tell you what I did, man, because I didn't oh, want to fucking this up is my the algorithm. First time you've actually put Bon Jovi in on purpose voluntarily, yeah. I, I turned oh, wow. off. I made. Sh- I signed out out of all my shit because I didn't want my algorithms <laughs> popping up. Because that's something. Yeah, I'm sure you notice the same when we're doing some episodes and it pops up in your year end list and you're like, "What the fuck?" Or like on YouTube or whatever. Oh man, so that's signed- like, that's most of my last two years, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all stuff just, for the show. Yeah, and again, because they had so much shit to get through. I, 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 yeah, I signed out all my shit, cleared all my history, and made sure everything could be as copacetic as oh possible. My God. And I just went on YouTube and I just did it that way, which made for an interesting experience. That's funny because, like, the We Hate Movies dudes, like, one of the guys just admitted that I can't remember what movie it was, but like, he just, <laughs> he just admitted that he's been taking some of these movies that they're doing and he's been basically fucking like doing the voodoo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. been, okay. like, renting them elsewhere so he doesn't fuck up his Netflix thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been thinking about that with Netflix. and Dude, because my sister used my Netflix account all the time back in the day when it was just the one account, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it would just be all this romantic comedy shit, and I'd constantly have to, like, downvote it or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so, so it would hopefully take it off the algorithm. It didn't work. I had to get a new account eventually, but, you know, for that and other reasons, but... That was that was a long time ago. Oh, I mean, think yeah. of how things have progressed since. Um, but yeah, so like, aside from I, I grew up again. I, I have to restate this for the millionth time. I grew up in the Beavis and Butthead era of like anything that came out before 1991, when Black Album and and Ner- Never Mind by Nirvana came out is completely irrelevant. That's old people music shit. You know what I mean? Like down with the past. Fucking hair metal was the devil. And that was just the the MTV programming of of that time, which is, in itself is extremely dated now. It's it's funny to think. And even then, like if you really really look at what Bon Jovi did, like yes, they started off with that. But even those first two albums, like they had a lot more to offer than that. Like they weren't just like defined as a hair metal band. And I think that's why they survived and adapted and changed. Good on them. Having said that, I would never listen to any of this again. It's just. Not you know, I think you either had to grow up with it or have an older sibling, a parent, whatever, some sort of story about it, you know. Uh, or you just need to not have been a kid in the '90s telling you all that shit was bad and just have an organic ear for it too, which is the case with a lot of people. But yeah, I, this was an interesting experience. I didn't come away hating it like I thought I would, but I definitely learned a lot, and it kind of comes with the grayscale for me because again, I didn't hear the. Um, 
the hair metal Bon Jovi until 2001 when it was Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And on the uh, on the soundtrack, I think it's Bad Medicine, maybe. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I was like, oh, this is the Bon Jovi everybody's talking about? Dude, this is fucking hair metal. Having said that, they were like the hair metal band, huh? If you look at all the sales figures and you look at all the stream numbers, you look at all the shit compared to everybody else, dude. Poison, Motley Crue, fucking Def Leppard. You add up all their numbers and Bon Jovi almost surpasses all of them put together. You know, it's it's wild, dude. How much of a thing it was. So there's always... It sounds weird with hair metal because it was kind of already radio. Right. Well, you but know, there's... the name I've seen pop up a lot is pop metal. And I was just like, I've never thought of it that way, but that's what it is, right? That's probably a better term than hair metal or um, or glam metal, because then you're saying a really specific thing, which it is, too. But just like, I never thought of that. Well, I think that that's what before. people mean by it. Like, I mean, that's oh, when, sure. you know, you have people that say like, oh, hair metal isn't even metal. Glam metal isn't metal. And, you know, and it's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, like they're not wrong. I mean, right. it's it's very poppy. A lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it, and not all. Of, like you know, there's you know some bands that had like you know you'll have like some songs are poppier than others. That's for sure. Even yeah. within the same album, so it sounds weird saying it with hair metal or glam metal, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's always a band that comes along and makes it like really really radio like lincoln park coming along with new metal oh yeah and taking dude. it into a whole different realm commercially and then that's all of a sudden it's like you know because the radio and the record labels kind of ruled the school that's yeah. all you fucking hear now sorry you, you know? just put a big bubble in my head just now you know suddenly you don't hear slipknot and fucking you know pod south town and static X yeah. push it on the radio anymore now you're hearing lincoln park and papa roach right so lincoln park papa roach which then gives way to huba staying you know death core um, you know it was like fucking asking alexandria came along and i mean it was it was just like holy shit like these guys kind of took what these guys were doing and popified a lot of it and more bands kind of came out like that also um so you had and that's it's been like that with almost every genre of music. There's always one that kind of knocks it out of the park and to take it to a commercial area. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bon Jovi did when in 1986 when uh, Slippery When Wet came out. And you're talking, uh, I believe Poison was right there with it. I think it was the same year. But Poison, uh, look what the cat dragged in was another one that maybe not so much musically but like the look like poison really looked like women bon jovi never really did that they didn't look right too, in fact they didn't even look all that glam dude like oh yeah for sure for a glam band they were really kind of down to earth and i think that's why a lot of people liked them but i think a bigger reason why so many people liked them was the fact that like they were never really a fucking hair metal band they're mostly to me they define hard rock for sure i I think they skate that line more times when you i tell you what dude when you look at the the stuff like especially the early shit yeah it's it's just it's dude it's just like bruce springsteen shit it's it's like um journey dude is what i paired it with the most i was like oh dude this is that era of journey Journey had journey had a lot of fucking like jazz influence and stuff they had a lot of jam band classic rock influence on their stuff 
Bon yeah. Jovi was more like that 50s shit, Buddy Holly. Ooh, yeah. wee, ooh, I look just like Buddy Holly. Okay, yeah. that's they had more of that style in them, that fucking saw cop type shit to them, but they're a little bit dirtier. And what set them apart from something like a heavier version of Bruce Springsteen was they didn't have the uh, like that folky, um, folky indie. You know uh, what do they call it? They used to call it like the songwriters of America. You know, like that sort of seriousness to it. Like they did have like the kind of like the glam, tongue in cheek party fun type vibe to them, mixed with that fifties type fucking rock, and they just threw a bunch of distortion on it. And Richie Sambora fucking would just wail on some fucking solos, dude. I mean, and and so when nineteen eighty six comes around, I mean you're prime fucking time like that is this isn't the start of it it's not coming up you're in the prime time for it dude and you know where poison kind of took everybody by storm bon jovi took everybody even more by storm they were even catchier than poison poison took the look to a new level bon jovi took the songwriting to a new level of right holy shit this is what we can do commercially with this style of music and the album just blew up. And, and part of that too, I honestly believe is like, you know, cause I mean, Molly crew had a huge album at the same time I mean, theater pain and they kind of garnered that look also. Mm-hmm. But I think the big thing with Bon Jovi was like, they were the new kind, they were kind of the new guys. Yeah. No sure. one didn't, you know, no one really knew who they were yet, you know, except for a select few, but I mean, fuck Molly crew was already popular in 80 before 86. Dokken was popular before 86. Def Leppard, I mean, they fucking had, did, didn't even put out an album. They hadn't put out an album in fucking, I think, three years at that point at, in 86. You know, they were kind of written off as like, well, fuck, dude lost his arm, guess they're fucked. So that'll be an interesting episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, and Rat was, you know, Rat was, that was right around the time they went even more commercial. And I mean, everything kind of went there and fucking it. So it just kind of, cones off into this into this head and at the fucking tip of that fucking head was was bon jovi and it's like i mean they probably made enough money off that album and residuals now they i mean i'm amazed they even still write shit yeah me too you know but i mean that brings me to something i really wanted to get into one reason why i wanted to do bon jovi i think it was when we were doing our episode on the black album because you were talking, kind of talking about like, I mean, essentially the biggest albums, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. rock and metal. And um, you had mentioned "Slippery When Wet" and how the Black album was like kind of at that level, right? Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about it, you know, and yeah, it is at that level, big album. But then I started thinking about this, man. I I was blown away. They're like they released an album in 2020. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck? So. Now, again, my sister, huge fan, my wife, huge fan of like, she actually, you know, my wife actually likes the later stuff more, but she doesn't like metal. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she like have a nice day and fucking it's my life. Yeah. And, you know, they're fine rock songs, dude. Like, that's what they are. Like, that's the kind of shit you hear or you kind of expect to hear when you're walking into like a fucking Home Depot or something. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. And I started thinking about it and I was just like, man, like not so much. Who is this for? I was just thinking like this band is the exact music 
for that thing that everybody used to tell me when I was younger, which was, you know, oh, all the heavy shit. That's just a phase when you grow up. Yeah. You know, when you grow up, you'll, you'll, you'll get away from all the heavy stuff. And it's like, that's what this is. That is, these guys started off not exactly heavy, but they're fucking way heavier than they are now. Mm-hmm. And they are the music for all of those people that used to like the heavy shit. Now they don't like the heavy shit. They just, you know, they don't want to listen to another genre, so they're listening to rock and roll. That's what Bon Jovi is. That yeah. is the the personification of you'll grow out of it. Yeah, for real, for real. That, you know, that goes on so many levels, too. Have you ever seen... I don't know if you've ever seen it because it's probably not a fucking thing here. Maybe the Midwesterners and and Idaho peeps and Utah and shit like that will understand this. But there's kind of like a fucking rural uniform, right, for going out, you know. And you got your bedazzled fucking pants, your jeans, you know, with all the fancy shit all over the fucking pockets. Yeah. Dude's probably got some type of fake tie-dye, you know, slight dye t-shirt a la Affliction or fucking American fighter, uh, maybe uh, tap out that sort of thing, you know. And it, it's essentially a metal shirt, but it, he doesn't want to show anybody that he listens to metal, so right. he buys an affliction shirt, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and then there's that sort of thing, and then he's got the fucking you know nice fucking gelled up fucking hair, whatever, maybe a little faux hawk mm-hmm. kind of fucking thing going on. And then his you know his chick, she's got the fucking you know bedazzled fucking jeans as well, probably some fucking like black type uh, leather something on her feet shoes not really heels but more like you know a heeled shoe mm-hmm. sort of thing and then they always have the same thing it's a fucking shirt that has a pretty deep v yeah but because they're modest they have a white fucking shirt underneath, underneath it. it yeah yeah and this motherfucker dude will fucking go all the way down to their thigh, like their mid-thigh if they pulled it all the way down. But mm-hmm. they kind of scrunch it at the waist, so it kind of covers their ass and their hips, so yeah. they're not showing off too much. And then she's probably got some sort of a fucking, she's a brunette, but she's kind of bleached a little bit yep. with some little bit of fucking highlights and shit. Yeah. Not so much a Karen haircut, but she does have that fucking Karen look as far as the, the hair color type yeah. thing. That is the uniform. So if I grew up Saturday night at Applebee's in rural America, right? So that's being generous because I, if I grew up in just about anywhere else in San Diego County, I would have no idea what you're talking about. But <laughs> right, <laughs> I grew up in Ramona, and for people that don't know, Ramona is this kind of weird. It's actually still technically on the western half of um, San Diego County. It's a um, pretty rustic town, dude. Yeah, it's it's, it's like country. Yeah, it's the it's the last between like the rest and then like okay now you're starting to get pretty boonies and i mean like if you're talking about the extreme end of that yeah it's everything east of ramona but Ramona's like where people they go go to ride horses and it's a farm town it used to be the turkey capital of the world or north america or something <laughs> one of those weird titles oh my god yeah, it's like it's 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 you go there to be a rural person so i grew up it's like yeah. what you're describing is as i was getting out but because i grew up in the 90s when a lot of this shit would have still been very prevalent i grew up with the 90s version of that too which is it's it's yes the denim with the bedazzling and all that but also the um the like weird poofy but curly hair and the dudes i used to go to school with dudes that were full-on dressing up in cowboy hats because like they were oh well yeah yeah i mean yeah. there's always the hillbilly version of that too which but it's is, not even you know, like 
some Justin Ropers and a nice cowboy hat. Yeah, yeah. It's Pretty not weird like weird fucking colored brush popper and Yeah. That's you know, like some big rodeo belt. Yeah, well dressed like cowboy yeah, shit. Yeah. Like they're they are legit rodeo people. There's rodeo grounds. So I know, you know, granted it's like you don't have you could go twenty minutes just to the west and it's a completely different scenario. You're talking about like oh, yeah. middle, middle, middle America. Yeah, no, I I got that. It's like a preview. Yeah, that's that's the uniform for fucking Bon Jovi's music. Dude. Yeah, for sure. Like well, so, post ninety fucking you know, post eighty eight. Right. That's that's the uniform. You know, because I I was listening to some of that newer stuff. I mean, spoiler, none of that shit's on my fucking list, man. I mean, not that it's garbage. It's just really average hard like hard ish rock. I mean, I guess probably now they're more just like rock, but yeah, I mean back yeah. in the day it was like they were to me a little less metal sounding because the riffs weren't there like the riffs weren't metal type riffs they were those 50s and 60s rock riffs yeah but like like it's i think it was the sheen of the time you know what i mean it's just like they had they had their finger in just like general rock as we're talking about but they also had a little bit of they had like the minimal hair tees they had the minimal hair but you know what i mean it's like they kind of skated lines, which is what those bigger well, they bands looked, do they looked more like aerosmith than anything right yeah and you know then, and and because Aerosmith kind of had that rock star kind of fucking look and not necessarily like the glam style look. You know, they, they were kind of a perfect mix of like that glam style with like Aerosmith where it's like this really over the top rock star 70s kind of look, you know. Yeah, which I just found out while doing research, there is a weird 80s uh, Aerosmith connection. There's a couple of them because they shared the same producer and whatnot around the same time. It was, you know, and I always think of, when I think of that era of Aerosmith, I think like early 90s because I forget, oh yeah, they put out stuff around then. Oh man. Oh yeah, dude. I think they put out Permanent Vacation in 86. Yeah, it's like all these. I and was that like, was like oh, their big no comeback. Yeah. That was their big comeback. I mean, they hadn't put out an album in years. They weren't even a band for a long time. Yeah, would you be down for an episode? Because that sounds like a challenge to me, too, some of that. I'm down for it, man. That could be a really interesting mixed bag. Anyways, um, but no, going on to what you're saying, it's just like, so you got that. I really don't know the imagery of those first two albums. I just know, I, I, have, an, I have a mental image in my head just based on the album cover, but I know, you know, okay, it's like just enough glam to be in that glam conversation on the next two albums, and then they start getting rid of, or away from that consciously on the fifth album, knowing that the, the curtain's coming down. Like, they, I was reading a statement where he's all, dude, Aerosmith had the, our style on our ass, and I was like, oh, so he was being realistic about it. He knew it was coming. And so, like, they made that conscious decision to just be, like, it was like a transition between the hair metal of yore from the 80s and then whatever they were going to do next with that um, This Ain't No Love Song album after that. And what I didn't know is they didn't do anything for five years. I thought they just kept going boom, boom, boom. But realistically, between the 80s and the 90s, they only put out like six albums, which was actually very surprising to me, especially considering then I find out there's 15 albums, right? <laughs> I, and like, I, I couldn't fucking believe... I I mean I was like holy shit, dude! I yeah. cannot believe they've still. So let me it ask seems you this: like, It seems like all these fucking songs. Um, okay, so "Bed of Roses," "Have a Nice Day," "It's My Life," um, "Who Says You Can't Go Home," "What's What's Another One," um, "This House Is Not For Sale," uh, "We Don't Run," "Fucking," there was an earlier one. 
God damn it. I cannot think of the fucking name of it, though. They all seem like they could be played on country radio stations as well. Right. But, I mean, this ain't love song. These days, lie to me. Something for the pain. Like, I mean, all these fucking huge songs. That, they all seem like they came off the same album. Yeah, no, for sure. I and you um, don't realize when you're listening to them in you know like I you know I when I worked at Home Depot, I mean I'd hear them all the time. You don't realize that these are all years apart of songs. Yeah, and you don't realize that all of these songs have been being recorded over a long period of time, and you just think like, oh, this is off the one you know, and they haven't done anything. You know, and then you get on Spotify and you look at their discography, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, like, what yeah. happened? Like, they've still been doing stuff, you know? And then I saw just recently, I I, I had no idea that uh, Richie Sambora wasn't in the band anymore. Oh, really? Because I thought it was more recent, but apparently it's almost been 10 years. They, they've yeah, put it's out 2013, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I thought it was, and I, apparently it wasn't an instant thing. It was like, okay, he has to deal with health issues. Okay, now he's out, and now it's this Phil X guy, which when I looked at his resume, I was like, oh, okay. It's like one of those guys that's done a lot of stuff, but hasn't really had like a band to put his name to until Bon Jovi yeah. picked him up or whatever, so good on him. But how, how far did you get into the research before you're like, okay, I've, I'm, I'm not going down this road anymore? <laughs> well, luckily, we've had a lot of time. Otherwise, I wouldn't have listened to all of it. But I did listen. To, I've okay. So as of right now, I have listened to every Bon Jovi song that exists. No shit. Wow. Yes. Okay. Because I I was just like I thought the initial conversation was going to be let's just do the albums from the eighties because those were the most metallic or whatever and therefore the most. I mean, I'm not to gonna show. I'm not gonna fucking discuss any of the new shit. I mean, yeah, it is what it is. It's it's fucking. You know, like I said, it's music for those people. Right. But it was just, it was talking to you your know. brother at your wedding, telling him about the episode. And he's like, nah, man, you got to do the whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. You know what? Well, it's this- I, I mean, I, I would rather, I mean, we could talk about it. I just don't want to go through each fucking album. Oh, dude, no, 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 no. I'm that. just saying. So, like, I did get through most of it, and I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore because it does reach a point. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, when you're when they're when you're talking about the music press, you got to take kind of what what they say with a grain of salt or whatever. Yeah. But it's like if you do look at the reviews, eventually, even the press is like, why are you doing this? You know what I mean? Like, it's you, you made your money, you made your statement. Why why are, why are you still doing this? And it, you know, considering the way the music industry is now, I'm just like, yeah, why? You know what I mean? Like, it looks like they sell pretty consistently, so I guess that's probably why. Good on them for that. It's just like, yeah, so you got the 80s. The 80s is the 80s. You have It's weird because people still want, as far as I know, I mean, because I've seen, I did look up some some other things, uh, you know, different places. I looked up Bon Jovi shit on Twitter, like Bon Jovi articles and stuff like that, articles about them. And I mean, unlike something like Def Leppard, where Def Leppard recently came out, and I mean, this should probably be for an episode there, but they recently came out and they were like, well, why should we record new shit? You know, everybody wants to hear the old shit. Like, we could just tour on that forever. It's fine. Like, you know, mm-hmm. not a big deal. You know, it's and like when... Uh... It's like they're kind of like, you know, well, we don't have... it. You know, I we don't have anything new to, like, add to the conversation, right? So right. why keep the conversation going? Let's just, you know, do the memories, right? So, but people still that is... want to hear new Bon Jovi shit. And that's why I say this band 
has a very specific type of fan and it's the fucking people that still want that harder edge stuff they don't want to hear imagine dragons and some of these new rock bands that have like a little too much keyboard or a little too much pop in them they still want that down to earth rock and roll like old school rock and roll because they're still playing that same fucking 50s and 60s style fucking almost like like i said sock hop do wop fucking you know i'm gonna roll my cigarette up in my fucking sleeve and fucking hold hands with my fucking lady which she's gonna sit right next to me in the fucking truck you know like they still do that same shit dude and they've got the acoustic fucking songs they've got the ballads they've got this almost like borderline country fucking vibe they are perfectly rural hard rock dude yeah that's, that's and there's so it. many people who want to hear more of that and they're the perfect band to give you more of it because they have no intentions of stopping which is fucking great man like because there are bands like rush or bands like uh, oh god who was i looking up the other day huge fucking catalog they they just kept putting out shit but like i hadn't heard anything new from them since like the 80s right but Rush, I mean, it was like, you know, yeah, like 91, I think, was the le- the last new Rush album I bothered to listen to. But they've been putting out albums the whole fucking time, right? And and that's yeah. how a lot of those bands are. I mean, Iron Maiden to some degree. It's just these guys are way, way more popular than that. But that's because they're more commercially viable than that. There's more right. Bon Jovi fans than Rush fans. like and, and that's the thing. Like, so... But I, I think Rush probably would have been in the same spot. We're just going to keep putting out new shit because Rush fans want new Rush. Where Def Leppard fans probably couldn't care less about new Def Leppard. It's not that big of a deal to them. Or, you know, maybe they do. They think they might want it. But, you know, then they hear it and they're like, oh, I still like the old shit better. You know, like, so yeah. not, I mean, in my opinion, Bon Jovi fucking peaked a long time ago. But... It's been a very, very slight decline for years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In, in my, in my, in my estimation, where something like Def Leppard peaked and it was a pretty hard fall, but it's a far fall. Like they're still going. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're still able to play. It's just they're you know as far as putting out new shit and getting new fans, it's probably not going to fucking happen. You know, or not at a mass level anyway. Yeah, that's what I when I saw it was fifteen albums. I thought it was pretty evenly split between the two millennia. Yeah, oh, no. I was very surprised, man. It's just that they've been more prolific in the last twenty years than they were yeah. before that. That's why. Well, I think so you I know, guess good on them there. I think they're another uh-huh. one of those bands that like kind of got in in a genre, like got their foot in the door, and maybe they didn't even really want to play that sort of thing, but they just kind of that's what they had to do to get on the scene, and then think like, okay, well, let's get our foot in the door. Then once we're in the building, then we can kind of walk around see what we want to do. And I really feel like by the time 95 to, let's look here. I mean, I, I think probably by like 92, 95, I think that's where they really, uh, not necessarily hit their stride. I, I Well, it is where they hit their stride, their real stride. That's when mm-hmm. the real band fucking came out. And you know what I mean? It took fucking one, two, three, four, five, about five to five to six albums, depending on where you want to cut it. It yeah. took about that many albums for them to really fucking one get enough juice to where they could do whatever they fucking were gonna do, and and you know and it's like okay I mean after I mean fuck after Slippery and Wet Wet in New Jersey, like you pretty much proved you're worth whatever it is you're worth, and and at that point your label can be like okay you can do whatever you want. 
here's a blank. Right. You know, they they just get blank checked, man. You know what I mean? Like, here you go, dude. Just do your fucking thing. And then it's on, dude. All of a sudden, it's just like fucking cranking them out. I mean, there's solo albums in there, too. I think Sambora had a fucking solo thing. John Bon Jovi had a solo fucking song, which was another fucking hit song that a lot of people confuse with, with Bon Jovi as well. Huge, huge, huge fucking song. But he is this band. Like, it, I, a lot of people do know Richie Sambora. I mean, he was married to Heather Locklear, which that helps. But he is a good singer as well. And a lot of people recognize his voice from something like Wander Dead or Live, a lot of the backups on, uh, on uh, the old stuff. I do think that he was a big enough personality to where, you know, he could have a solo thing. We're like, you know, the fucking drummer's not, you know, maybe Tico Torres played in a fucking side gig and no one fucking knew because no one knows who he is, right? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you throw on the fact that there's, you know, huge tours, huge, huge tours, solo albums, this that movies john bon jovi's been in a few movies dude and it's just like holy fuck like <laughs> he turned I was just thinking he turned this whole fucking thing of i recorded this one fucking song with these studio guys mm-hmm. into what it is now you know yeah. I mean, rock and roll hall of fame dude yeah <laughs> you know, it's like, dude struck gold and the lottery and everything yeah, else it's like holy shit times. dude like i can't even fucking believe it man and I mean, if yeah, I remember no, right sure. too, like dude's still married to his, he, like he's never been divorced. Is that right? Good on him. I'm pretty sure he's been with his wife just like for fucking ever. I, I think I think since high school, dude. Like I'm him. pretty yeah, fucking that, sure, man. That's a I'm gonna fucking story, look it up. So just thinking about outside of music, like like you were kind of going. I I want to say he was like a spokesperson for like, not a makeup company, but like a hair product company or something like that. Does that sound right, maybe? But even out, outside of that, did you ever see John Carpenter's Vampires with uh, James Woods? Yes. So you know they made a direct-to-video sequel, and <laughs> instead of James Woods, it's John Bon Jovi? <laughs> I, I remembered that halfway through. I was like, I should have watched that for, God, for this. dude. I did not know and, that, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he hosted Saturday Night Live in the mid-2000s, and it's like... Even the monologue, it's like Amy Poehler dressed up as a 1980s teenager in Boston, and and he comes off the poster in his 80s get get up and being like, one day you're going to be a star, and you're going to be on Saturday Night Live, and I'm going to be the host, and she's all, oh, I can't wait, and then she stops and goes, wait, you're going to host? And he goes, yeah, 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 it's a long story, and because Foo Fighters was the uh, advertised musical <laughs> guest, but... During the monologue, Richie Sambora's in the audience. He's like, come on, man, let's play songs. Come on, let's go. All right. And so it's the whole setup thing where they end up doing a couple songs. And then Foo Fighters does like one. It's just like he's he's an out, he's a personality outside the music like a handful of those guys are. I always knew Tommy Lee from Motley Crue more than anybody else because of the, the Pamela Anderson thing when we were kids. Or when I was a kid, I guess. And that was the big infamous thing. And also just all the scandal and all that. And then later on you had, um, what's his nut from uh, Poison, Brett Michaels doing the Rock of Love and all that. Like some of those dudes just had a cult of personality that persisted outside that scene, that era, that music. And John yeah. Bon Jovi seemed to be one of them. 
And again, he's like the most milk toast casual version of someone from that era possible. Because if you the look fucking at fucking milk toast is a good way to put it. I mean, and some people see that as a bad thing. I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. No, because no, I mean, someone's got to be that, right? I mean, yeah, he's adaptable. I guess it yeah. was that fifth album that when they were kind of when they knew, okay, it's transition time is the big thing. They all cut off their hair or whatever. All uh, another band that's, as it turns out, kind of interlinked from that era that we'll get into. But like they could see the 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 change coming, and they went with it. Whereas a lot of those other guys fell by the wayside. So good on them, and that's why they've had a career that's been much more, you know, expansive than any of those other guys. And good on them. It's not that they were a hair metal band. It's like hair metal was something they could do, and they did. But they also had all these other things to offer. So while none of it's necessarily my cup of tea per se, I give them all the props in the world for that. That's that's commendable. As we were saying, that's the difference between Linkin Park and the rest of those guys. It's like the same story. It started off in oh, one yeah. style, the most commercialized style, become the biggest of it, and then check out other styles, you know, outside of that. It's the same with Metallica, the biggest fucking metal band that's ever going to be. They experimented after that to varying degrees of success. But like... That's the apex. There's like the, there's like a club. You ever see on Saturday Night Live, they have the five-timers club where if you've hosted five times, you get to hang out in this little lounge and they give you a little jacket and all that. I don't know what the equivalent of that is for these bands, but like they're each the kind of like the biggest and most, you know, known of their, of their groups of, you know, other musicians and whatnot. So good on them, man. They're still doing it, whether or not people want those records. I mean, somebody must. They keep selling pretty consistently from what I see. Yeah, it's he's just like he's still married to the same wife he married is his high school sweetheart, and they got married in 1989. Good on him, man. Fucking Shit. crazy. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's commendable again, and especially when you're looking at the turnover of uh, Richie Sambora and Heather Locklear <laughs> and whoever it was after that, because I, <laughs> yeah. I remember there being another oh, yeah, notable dude. relationship after that wild time and it's just interesting to think about that trajectory again 80s very distinctive you got the transitional album after that you got the i don't know what you call it because that's when the country influence starts coming in on these days i think the album's called the 1995 one and then after that you got the reinvention i had to look this dude's name up luke ebbins e-b or excuse me ebbin e-b-b-i-n and that's the dude that's kind of credited with kind of re- you know, rejuvenating their career. And like, I thought the dude would have had a much more prolific career based on the two albums he did with Bon Jovi, but he like split after a certain time because he was like, dude, I'm making more in real estate than I am in as a music producer. And if that isn't like the story of the music industry after a certain point, I don't know what is. That's interesting. And uh, it's after that album Crush, because it has the big, you know, It's My Life, which is like, that's Bon Jovi for like a generation of people now, as we're kind of saying. I guess the other one after that was of some note, but I, I don't remember anything off of it. And it's like, after that is where it gets kind of, they're still going, you know what I mean? It's like they ping pong back and forth between doing more <laughs> yeah, country oriented stuff and then going, oh, now we're bringing back the rock. And then they kind of silently go back into the country thing. It seems like this kind of this weird cycle they've been in. And if it works for them, I guess good on them. It's just, that's when I stopped paying kind of attention. That's when the story kind of blends together to me, except for Richie Sambora leaving. And Richie Sambora has got a thing with uh, Michael Jackson's former guitarist, Ori Anthony now. So they're doing their thing. I guess he's performed with them as a guest artist, like a couple times or something. So good on them. 
One other thing, I guess, to mention is uh, the contributions from Desmond Child. I oh, thought yeah. it was just an 80s thing. I had no idea they still worked together. Yeah, like, dude, All these years I mean, later. I had no idea he's still alive. <laughs> Fucking good on him. I, this, I'm learning a lot this round around, you know? It's it's cool. Well, yeah, you know, that's the thing. I mean, maybe that's he still has his formula, dude. Maybe that's why they still have fucking hit songs. Because, yeah. I mean, that's that's the other thing. That's the difference between these guys and some of those other bands that tend to get older. No one really pays attention to them that much. You know what I mean? Like, And, and, and they kind of get lost in that old world. Yeah. that That's kind of where that difference is, is these guys are still cranking out hits. Yeah. Like huge hits hit song regardless of whether we like them or not doesn't matter you right. know they're they're hit fucking songs dude maybe that is the desmond child thing yeah you know? good I on mean, him man fucking it's working <laughs> a lot yeah because i mean he was he, you know he had his he was very known to have this formula um written in a notebook as far as the story goes you know and fuck man Maybe he's still rocking that fuck. I mean, I doubt it's changed. I mean, most most every song on the radio is from here to fucking all the way back, like to a certain point. I mean, back in the old days, yeah. I mean, a lot of those fucking old old radio hits don't really sound like new songs, and the reason why is because you know that that was before the radio went to the formula, right? And I mean, right. this dude had a formula during the formula time, and I mean, fuck man, he was on to something, dude, because. I think he fucking nailed it. Because, yeah, I mean, he's still doing shit with them. He's been doing shit with them. And and not just these guys, too. I mean, he's been doing shit with, like, a lot of fucking people, dude. The biggest of the big. Good on him. When I went through that discography. Again, it's one of those ones I thought ended hard in the 90s somewhere, and I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. It's because, you know why? Well, of course. It's like, like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you think that? I mean. Yeah. It's because part of it's because the, the dude that produced uh, Slippery When Wet and... um New Jersey, Bruce Fair Fairbame. Fairbame? Fairbame? It's just like Fairbame? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, why did this guy stop? Look, like, look at this. Like, is it because he just had enough money? And I was like, oh no, he died. Whoops. My bad. <laughs> so But you like, I uh, see some of those. It's like it's I mean, Scott Burns makes sense. He straight up said there's no money in death metal. So he became like a computer guy or something like that. Stories like that, but like I don't know, man. Just like you're talking about, I'm just looking at all this stuff and really reflecting. We're talking about like the top of the top of the top of people at their game when it comes to this. Well, yeah, the, the people that are actually making money doing it, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you know, sometimes they stop doing the thing and then it's like, man, like, are you not getting enough money or what's going on? Because why, yeah, why wouldn't you keep going? You know, and it's like, so yeah, the guys that aren't, necessarily making money at it's like i get that but yeah you know i and i think that a lot of this is indicative of the fact that we don't have to listen to what everybody wants us to listen to right i mean again we've talked about it before like we're not trapped anymore so we can listen to whatever we want now there's you know especially through this show where we do kind of for lack of better term we force ourselves to you know listen to stuff we don't normally listen to and exactly. and it's kind of cool because you do kind of start your eyes do get opened up to not necessarily different things. Cause I mean, we all, I mean, we listen to lots of different things, but it does open up this whole other world that 
you either A, didn't know exist, or B, you didn't know it still existed. You thought this thing was completely fucking dead, and it's not. You know, it's not even close to. In fact, it's doing better probably than it was before. Yeah, exactly. It's fucking crazy, dude. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad we kind of run the gamut on these things, because the next one we've talked about doing is so on the opposite end of the spectrum. You could fit in a million things in between the two, and that's what we aim to do, (laughs) you know? Oh, yeah, dude. I guess another thing to note is, aside from the huge album sales, everything else is done like platinum at the very least, and then you got in the U.S., and then... Slippery When Wet is, I think, 12 times platinum, and New Jersey's like seven. So, you, again, you're talking about those higher ranks. But also, one of the highest grossing uh, concert tours constantly. They're always on the top list with, like, Madonna and all those guys. Top of the top of the top of the top. Anyways, anything else you wanted to get into before we get into the list? Now, I was really trying to dig into, like, some of the 80s stories and stuff, but I just didn't really see much, dude. Yeah, I, for real. They like they must have either kept it really close to the vest, or they just, you know, not everybody's Motley Crue, not everybody Yeah, candy, yeah, I just, I think ben that's Halen probably or... more what it was. I think they just probably weren't as fucking crazy as some of those other bands, you know? And, yeah. And I mean, I, there's, a lot, there's a lot of those bands that weren't that nuts back then. Yeah. I'm more interested in the, the actual, like, creative side, I, I guess you could say, like, reading all the stories about, okay... We're consciously moving this direction. We're consciously collaborating with Desmond Child. We're we're going to this uh, producer. Oh, one notable story about the These Days record is they switched studios because Fear Factory was recording D Manufacturer and the other one, and it was bleeding into the uh, room. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I do remember hearing that from somebody in the Fear Factory camp years ago. But like to actually read it from the Bon Jovi perspective, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> that's interesting i love stories like that yeah and it's just and it, it going back to that kind of relaxed lifestyle we'll say later in life you're talking about the the game the imagery of when they're like as glam as they got again with the okay minimally teased hair okay minimally whatever eccentric clothing and now that it's just like you know it's the dad i'm the rocking dad uniform where it's a black t-shirt maybe with like the the plain black leather jacket Oh yeah, and it's just funny because you know who else that reminds me of is? Did you see the uh, the quote unquote metal song that uh, David Hasselhoff put out? No, I remember hearing about some uh, about something like that, but I don't think I ever actually heard it. Yeah, I, I mean, I can I can imagine. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> it's like, whoa, wait, what? It was like a big thing for a week. Um. Anyways, shall we get into the list? The list. So, how about I start off this one this time, just for posterity? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts towards the end more. Sounds good. All right. So, I'm going with the track as an honorable mention, because I didn't have a lot of honorable mentions. I barely had five. But, yeah, <laughs> honorable mention, an al- or a song that got cut from Slippery When Wet. Which, by the way, I didn't know that. I always wondered what that was because the whole story of the cover art for Slippery When Wet because they didn't want to have the the girl in the wet top or whatever. And they and jo- apparently the other thing was John Bon Jovi didn't want that pink border. He didn't like the. Yeah, I remember the I remember the poster with the chick with the ripped up shirt. Like, oh, I remember the poster. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And apparently they still use that um, that cover in Japan. There's a whole thing about like how their Japanese audience and even some other markets have like certain things that the other ones didn't because of weird issues or whatever. Or even like some audiences gravitated towards the latter albums more than others. Uh, stuff like that. Anyway, so what the actual cover, do you know what the cover of Slippery When Wet is? I thought it was one thing and it's something completely different. I don't know how they did it. So I always thought it was like concrete with like oil stains on it or something. It's a black garbage bag that's like wet, like where it's all dewy and whatnot. And it, and slippery when wet was just written with maybe like a finger or something like that. Yeah, that's the album cover. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't what, tell what, I, read I didn't know either. what the thing was. Yeah. But I mean, I knew it was. I mean, Photoshop wasn't a thing at that point, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was some kind of graphic art as like compute, computer, you know, graphics thing but i mean it wasn't fucking photoshop not in not in 1986 i don't think. yeah so yeah i always wondered how the fuck they got it like that so it was a yeah. garbage bag well it's yeah a fucking garbage, garbage bag. bag you think about it man i mean if you've ever used you know you've seen garbage bags of leaves you know sitting out in the fucking yard and the sprinkler hits it i mean it does the water beads up on it pretty fucking good to which i'm like okay now we know how they did it and what it is how did they get the idea for that that's just interesting it's like Again, I, I see a lot of parallels with the Black Album. It's just like, what the fuck is this album cover? You know what I mean? And then Bob Rock was involved on both albums. And the the next two for Bon Jovi after that. God knows how many for Metallica after that, too. Interesting interweaving there. Anyway, so this is a, a track that got cut that they said they ended up regretting because they felt like it could have been in there no problem. was called Edge of a Broken Heart. And the only thing that kept it from making my actual five is just the chorus gets a little too syrupy hair metally you know because otherwise this, like the verses and whatnot is I this love. on spotify at all i think it's on one of the comps or whatever but again i was just going youtube bon jovi edge of a broken heart i think it's on like two comps like a besides your greatest hits or something i've heard the i've heard the song i just trying to see if it was on spotify real quick there might be a rights thing with some of those comps too. You know how some oh, yeah. of those yeah, go I, away I, and disappear. I know when I heard that one. Well, I haven't heard it in a long time, but I'm kind of curious if it's on here. Anyway, anyway, it's for me. It's about vibe. It's a lot of this. It's about reminding me when I was like single digits, maybe not even in elementary school yet. You know what I mean? Not that I would have ever even heard these songs, but it evokes a it's, it evokes a feeling, and that's. That's more or less what the whole theme of my list is going to be. You know what I mean? Especially having never heard these songs. It's kind of a blank canvas for me to kind of project on. And again, like, I like the verses, but the 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 choruses are what kind of drive me away with what I kind of didn't care for with that era. So, again, it's that take a little bit of this and a little bit of that that they did from everything from that era. Uh, how about you? Honorable mentions. I just, I just found it on here, man. I, just, I mean, I haven't listened to this geez long time but now i'm listening to it and it just reminds me of like nelson i could see that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what else is interesting and where i made the the aerosmith connection was john bon jovi claimed the song love is a disease or social disease or something like that could have been something that aerosmith could do and i guess they wanted the song and they were like no it's ours or something love like that is a social disease and then when i read that i was like oh yeah dude this sounds like what they would have been doing around that time you know what i mean like and they had the same producer it's just like <laughs> yeah that class of mainstream harder edged rock from the 80s to the earliest of the early 90s you know what i mean just 
all in a blender right there. It's interesting. Honorable mentions for you, good sir. Honorable mention, Lay Your Hands on Me is a pretty good jam. Bad Medicine was huge. I mean, it's a massive song. I mean, 94 million plays on here. That one was a big one for me because that was, you know, that was the follow-up single to, like, anything off Slippery When Wet. And I just, I mean, I remember recording it off MTV, like, listening to it all the fucking time. Definitely did not make my list this time. But it was, it was such a big, you know, it's like, oh, I mean, they have this album comes out because, I mean, Slippery When Wet, I mean completely honest i mean that that album fucked me up when i was little dude like i was what, what do you say i was 12 years old you know i mean looking for anything with distorted guitars you know it's hard to find like i've talked about before it's hard to find stuff so a lot of times i heard what was on the radio or what was on mtv you know by the time we had mtv and whatnot and, i mean it was you know such a such a big album you know almost every song off there so to have the follow-up you know Two years later, oh my god, you know, new Bon Jovi, here we go. That was a fucking big song. Another one off of New Jersey, <laughs> I think it's I'll Be There For You. Super fucking ballad. I'll be there for you, these five words I swear to you. You know, like that sort of thing. Like, I mean, it's total fucking love song. Total fucking ballady. But again... You know, 1988, I mean, now I'm like 14 years old, you know, it's just like, okay, here we go. Like, I mean, it was at every fucking dance I went to, school or otherwise, and it was just a really big, like, love song. And then the other one I'm going to do, like, an honorable mention would be In and Out of Love. You know, um, one thing that this band has a lot of, they talk about the boys a lot. <laughs> I don't know if that's a Jersey thing or what, you know, like... But again, that's that's that fifties grease and greasers and socias and all that sort of thing. The outsiders, you know that that old shit. That's that thing. Like I'm hanging out with my boys. You know I'm gonna hang out with the boys, and um, they have a lot of gang vocals, a lot of gang vocals, and it's kind of weird for this kind of band when you think about listening to Motley Crue or listening to Poison, you know, Rat, Dawkins, Def Leppard. Even I mean, a lot of those. I mean, a lot of those songs. Uh, have a lot of gang vocals on them, which is really fucking cool. But just the, you know, in and out of love, you know, and it's like a nice, like, fucking rocking riff. You know, I always, I always thought it was pretty weird that, uh, you know, considering they have a fucking keyboard player, I mean, unless it's one of the ballads, they don't really use the keyboards a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, I forget he's there sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of songs where, you know, he's probably not on it. Or, you know, maybe he's doing backup vocals, that sort of thing. Like, you know, then the, the songs where you can really tell it's him is like when he's, you know, when they have the, when he's doing the piano, you can really hear that. But they don't have like a lot of swirly stuff in the background. There's nothing psychedelic or trippy about any of their shit. There's nothing cinematic about anything they do. He's kind of relegated mostly to 50s style jams and a bunch of like the intros and stuff. And, and it's, I've always thought it was really weird that, uh, they have quite a few of these intros. I don't know quite a few of the intros, but there's a couple of intros, I think, where it's like this keyboard thing that has nothing to do with the rest of the song. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of which, that would be my last honorable mention. I think it's Raise Your Hands. No, Raise Your Hands. The, the intro thing is one of my favorite songs. 
Raise your hands. This, if you ever seen, you've seen Spaceballs, right? I was just thinking about this the other day. I don't <laughs> think get, I've seen. You get introduced to parts. Lone Star and Barf via Raise Your Hands. No, for real. You know that little, and it's and it's fading in. You know, it's got the the big whammy fucking dive thing, and then boom, right into the fucking song. And I mean, there's keyboards. You can hear them, a little bit of piano in there, whatnot. And when, um. John's playing, and, and then in the movie, you know, Barf, you know, he's, he's got his fucking big old bucket of dog food or whatever the fuck, mog food or whatever the fuck it is. He's right. all fucking dancing in the, in the fucking, the, that fucking Winnebago with the wings or whatever, you know, and his tail keeps fucking hitting Lone Star in the face. It wakes him up, you know, and then Lone Star's yelling at him, and then you can still hear the song, and then he pulls his headphones out, and then the song's still playing, but it sounds like it's coming through a fucking pair of headphones, uh, I always like that fucking scene. I've always, obviously, I heard the song before I, I watched Spaceballs, but I mean, ever since I saw it in Spaceballs, I mean, Raise Your Hands will forever be Lone Star's theme. There's only one man who would dare give me the raspberry. You know, so those those are my honorable mentions. I don't have a ton of them. I, you know, as far as Slippery When Wet goes, it's huge for a reason. Now, mostly, it's it's huge mostly for fucking two songs. But it's it's a really fucking good album front to back. I mean, it's it's real solid all the way through. Uh, same with New Jersey. That was two really well made albums, and I mean, there, and there's a reason why they got huge off them. They were very well made albums with two really huge fucking singles off of them. Right. You know, because I think New Jersey, the the two big ones is uh, "I'll Be There for You" and "Bad Medicine," and then. We'll probably get into actually, you know, I don't, I don't know. You said okay, so you said no hits, right? For you, no hits, as far as I know. I, I so because I mean, dude, I'm, I'll tell you right now. I mean, I guess honorable mention right now. I mean, it has to be, dude, living on a prayer. That's gotta be a fucking rock slash metal Hall of Fame song. I mean, oh yeah, it's an amazing fucking song it's so good dude like it's got the fucking talk box dude the nice little fucking bass lines got the you can hear the keyboards dun, 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 you know in the background or whatever and it's rather uplifting you know but yet it's rooted in the blue collar you know like that's kind of what that springsteen you know the springsteen new jersey vibe you know that blue collar we're we're blue collar dudes, but we're playing glam music, right? I mean, that's kind of right. what that that was, and 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 living on a prayer is just like it's, it's almost like their version of "Don't Stop Believing," right? I mean, that's pretty much what yeah, it is. For sure. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny you mentioned that. You know, even though this no, the fuck, it, this song's in that movie. Okay, I was gonna say, you know what? A lot of the early Bon Jovi story, whatever you want to call it, reminds me of is um, "Rockstar" with Mark Wahlberg. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, that. I know it's based on Judas Priest, but like, there's got to be some of that in there too, right? Maybe because like, yeah, Judas Priest wasn't a glam band. I love it, man. I mean, it's just like talk about the chicks working for the man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. And it's it's really you know they're down on their luck or whatever. You know, it's, oh baby, we got to hold on to what we got. Doesn't make a difference if we something. I don't even remember the words now. But make it or not, make it or not. Yeah, I mean it's Maybe. it's really fucking down to earth, really relatable and. But it's still reaching for the fucking stars or whatever and and going for it, right? And then it's got that key change. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and it, it's it's that thing where, you know, like you'll be at a concert, you know, and they're playing it in between sets or something, you know, and the whole crowd starts singing it. And you can just tell right off the bat, 
I'm like, dude, as soon as they start singing, I'm like, oh, you started too high. Because, I mean, yeah, all of a sudden, sure. dude, it kicks up that neck, that key change, dude, and everybody's off because no one can sing that fucking high on it. You know, I, I mean, it's it's just a magnificent song. You know, what? It, you, it's just one of those things where, like, it doesn't even matter what genre it is. It's just one of those songs. It's just a good fucking song, dude. That was one of my favorites back in the day, for sure. Um, I don't know how much I was, like, how much of it not making my list had to do with, you know, I've heard it as many times, but there is another one off this album. You know, there's another two that I've heard quite a bit, but you know, they, they still fucking rule for me, dude. So I, 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 they actually made it to the fucking list where this one did not, but this one would probably be my number six. Okay. And it's crazy to think reading up that almost didn't make the album because he didn't believe in it enough or something. Yeah. And he had to take some convincing and finally he's like, Oh yeah, we made the right call. It was just, yeah, which by far their biggest song. It's fucking crazy to me, but you know, that's the thing like that's why I say like, you know, these 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 guys you know, everybody from fucking Slayer to, you know, fucking whatever, Cannibal Corpse, I don't give a fuck what you are. I mean, you know, you never really know. Yeah, no, for you know, sure. You just you just never really know what song is going to be the song, you know? And 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 so you you kind of just have to put your creation out there and then you just, you kind of have to let the chips fall where they may. And, you know, and sometimes it works man. And sometimes it doesn't, but I mean, the ones that work and they work like hard. I mean, I, I bet there's probably no one more surprised than the people that wrote it. Yeah, for sure. You know, the people that listen to it, they're like, of course they, they, they're just like, yeah, of course it's a hit song. This song fucking rules. Like, hell Yeah. You know, where the guys that wrote it, you know, maybe at the time when they wrote it, they're like, ah, I'm not quite sure, man. I don't know. I don't like this part. Or, you know, maybe we should have changed this or that, you know. And and then the audience receives it, you know, and and, and they perceive it differently. And, and, and conversely, there's probably songs that these guys wrote that they thought would be a lot bigger, you know, and they just didn't quite take off. And record execs, too, you know, putting, you know, well, which song should we put out for the single, you know and I mean? It really takes those guys, man, like that's kind of the unsung part of a record label, right? Is those guys mm-hmm. that are kind of pushing those decisions. I don't think it's ever made by, I mean, I think on the majority, it's not made by one guy. Right. Or, or, or girl, whatever. It's not made by one person. It's, it's made, you know, probably by several people, but they have to have, at least one person has to be championing like, okay, we got to do this song. Like, right. And to their credit, man, I mean, a lot of times it's the right choice. Yeah, for sure. It's it's always got to be interesting from that other side. How many times have you heard of, oh, shit, things would have been so much different if we picked the right single, right? Right, right. So, like, it's gambling, dude, straight but up. Especially back then where, you know, like nowadays, you know, it's, it's not really make or break because, I mean, you can release anything you want at any time. And, and you don't technically, there's a lot of bands that, don't even have fucking labels you know they're just throwing down their own money on whatever and and that's you know that's so cool about it but but back then where it's like yeah that that even the lead single especially the lead single like that could make or break your whole career yeah absolutely yeah it was it was a fucking pretty big deal i would talk about covers but one of the covers i would like to talk about is in my list so we'll get to it when we get there uh what's covers by bon jovi no covers of bon jovi they do they do some covers uh, they had a pretty decent version of Helter Skelter that I didn't mind okay. too bad, but I, for the most part, I didn't like a lot of the covers, but they didn't do a ton of them on the early albums. 
Right. So I'm going to hold off on what I was just about to say then, too, because it was <laughs> something to do with the cover. So it might be what you're talking about. So, yeah. Okay. On so note, you're, let's see. You're going first, right? So I had definitely never, ever heard the album Keep the Faith before. Like, not a song. I'm, I'm consciously, I don't think. Right. So there's, you know, coming off of two albums mixed by Bob Rock, this is one that's full on produced by Bob, Bob Rock. And this is after Black Album. So I'm listening to this going, oh man, that's interesting. I, I'm surprised that none of that really like leaked into this album. Yeah, I thought there'd be more like more of Black Album would have seeped into this. And sure enough, yeah, I get into there and it's in the middle. Like, like I was like, oh, there's some Black Albums-isms in this. And the first one, well, no, the second one that caught my ear was Woman in Love. Like it's just so evocative of like. Which one is it? Woman in Love, it's like in the second half. Of Keep and the like, Faith, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's 1992 Bon Jovi. They're they're this is when they realize it's transition time. It's make or break. We're gonna have to adapt with the times. And so this is what comes between this and the one after that. And it's this mature ring, but there's still a little bit of what worked before too. And even though the title is woman in love and it's kind of generic that's kind of you know they did that very well but I, it was like oh man this is it, that's why i kind of stood out to me was this is kind of black album me you know it's it's definitely got the the early 90s bob rockisms oh it's four on the floor dude it's yeah i mean you know what's crazy is it's almost it almost sounds like it could be like a chuck berry song yeah yeah, yeah. like the way the guitar it, licks are in there really yeah this one's a little more up tempo than some of the other ones it's yeah again with with a lot of their albums it was never one or two of the same thing they actually varied it up quite a bit which i gotta give it up for but yeah this struck out to me like huh okay this is a different vibe than i expected but i can kind of get into that which is going to happen again so on that note what's your number five okay my number five is a slow jam for the ladies not really for the ladies it's just a slow jam ladies and dudes but it's uh, living in sin off of New Jersey. I just like the 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 chorus is really cool. I mean, it's it's kind of cool because it's like, baby, can you tell me just where we fit in? I call it love. They call it living in sin. Is it you and me or just this world we live in? I say we're living in love. They say we're living in sin. So it's kind of that whole thing of like, now, full disclosure. I mean, I was with my son's mom for fifteen years. You know, and like we weren't married. You know, but I mean, it was kind of the same, just the state didn't recognize it. You know, the government didn't recognize that we, I guess, were a couple, which is just ridiculous to me. But, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like this whole, um, you know, rebel, forbidden love kind of thing. Not necessarily forbidden, but, but you know, he's just kind of saying like, like, I don't need a license, to, you know, to sign on no line. And I don't need a preacher to tell me you're mine. Like, you know, don't need diamonds don't need a new bride. You know, I just need you. Like, I just need you, baby, to look me in the eye, right? That's kind of like, it's it's more than, you know, it's like, oh, you know, marriage is just this piece of paper. I recently got married, but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, it is, It's it really is just a piece of paper. I mean, you're either going to stay together or you're not. You either love each other or you don't. But it was just, it was just uh, really cool. And it's kind of, um, what do you call it? It's it's kind of a uh, sexy jam, a little sultry action going on, dude. Like, really, uh, really catchy. 
kind of surprised me that i mean i always thought it was deeper in the album it's actually i mean it's like the fourth song i mean but there are a lot of keyboards on this song but like i said the keyboards tend to come out more on these slower songs this almost reminds me of that like what do you call it uh like the later journey stuff the later uh foreigner the later bad company you know when they all went kind of mm-hmm. like this weird like almost r&b yeah yeah but then the chorus kicks in, you know, and it's just a, it's just that nice melody line, dude. Like of the how they how they how they uh, sing the chorus and whatnot. Like, you know, and again, I mean, there's fucking backups all over it. I mean, it's it's really close. It's it's it's. I mean, it's almost a sin to say it, but I mean, it's really close to what Cantrell and and uh, Staley do. Not necessarily the harmonies, but but I mean, Sam Boris sings a lot. Like he just never sings on his own. I don't think not not right. on these first four albums. I don't think there's anything where he's singing by himself. Uh, so much like you know, because there's there's songs where Cantrell does it, but he fucking does so many backups, and they're very prominent backups, you know. And it's not just John doing another track, you know. I mean, it's Richie fucking singing that backup, you know. And I I, I bet I never saw him live, you know. Like I mean, I bet it translated very well live. To see both of them yeah. singing the parts, and 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 I mean, as far as I know, like everybody in the band, I mean, I think even the drummer had a mic back there to hear them all doing their thing or whatever. Been really cool, but it's just a this song. It's just a I don't know. It I would probably I would be hard pressed. I mean, I don't know if I could qualify as a power ballad. I don't think it ever really kicks up hard enough. But I mean, if yeah, you were just, just going like ballad. rock ballads or you know like you know rock slash metal ballads in general. It's got a great solo, you know, Sam Bohr really squealing him off on there, dude. Like, he's a very underrated guitar player in the sense that um, I think a lot of people forget that, you know, he could shred too. You know, you listen to those first, especially the first two albums, he's really fucking shredding it up, dude. I mean, as he goes on, he definitely gets more bluesy. Right. Um, he, he, he really embraces the fucking blues, you know, but, but the way John sings on the song too, it's very heartfelt. Here's the thing. When it comes to heartfelt, you know, dramatic vocals and whatnot, I think an amazing singer would be able to take something that they, they're not connected to, but they can convey it as if they were, right? right? And I think good singers can take something they're not connected to and do a really good job, you know, singing that fucking song. Shitty singers, you know, I'm not connected to it. Then there's other times where you are connected to the thing, but, you know, maybe you're you know, to no fault of your own, you're just not, you can't convey that emotion. You may feel the emotion, but you can't get other people to feel the emotion, right? And so you get these yeah. fucking dudes kind of like John Schaefer from Iced Earth, who sounds like, you know, when he hits the, yeah, that's a fucking bad term now, but I just always think of him because I used to listen to those old Iced Earth albums and, and it used to drive me nuts because it's like, it's almost like he's trying too hard to use the vibrato to to make it seem like he's feeling more than he actually is or he's trying to convince himself like he's trying he sounds like he's trying to make himself cry yeah is that over dramatization it comes off as a little bit fake you know what i mean yeah. like and i'm not saying that he's faking it i'm just saying he may not be that well or that good at transferring that emotion that he may be feeling inside right. to the outside. Like, and, and there's several other singers like that, that I, I, there's, I can't really name a bunch of them right now, but he was just always to me, the biggest offender of that, and maybe other people perceive it differently. I don't know, but that's how I always saw it. Mm-hmm. 
and not in the sense of he was fake. It just it sounded like he wasn't very good at conveying that emotion. Where John Bon Jovi is actually really good at that. I I think that's kind of a thing that makes him such a great singer. Is he doesn't he doesn't have the highest voice. He doesn't have the lowest voice. He he's really fucking solid. But I mean, he you know and he, I've never really heard him scream. He doesn't get too aggro or anything. Yeah, he's just a really good singer. He's really good at making you feel the song. You know, and I always thought that was pretty cool. What's your number four? <laughs> so my number four is also <laughs> off of Keep the Faith. Same Holy reason. Shit. <laughs> so it's just like when I heard this album, I was like, oh, this is a weird, it's a missing link. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we didn't know there was going to be this kind of, you know, however many of the same albums from the 2000s. It was pretty clean cut. Here's the 80s. Is this the album that has a song called If I Was Your Mother? Dude, me and Deja were fucking reading the lyrics to If I Was Your Mother. We were fucking cracking up, dude. So my number four is Oh if no I was fucking your mother. Way. Yeah. <laughs> dude, this is this is when the this is when the black albumism oh started kicking God. in for me. I didn't pay attention to the lyrics, so maybe I need to go back and to do that. I was more focused on the you know, it kind of reminds me of like the um the God that failed and um my friend of misery kind of vibe-ish. To connect it to something, you know what I mean, as some sort of frame of reference. Yeah, it and it's like, strutty too, man. Yeah, exactly. That's what attracted me more than anything else. It was a very different pace, very different tone. Like it's just so now. I guess I gotta read these lyrics because I was not paying attention at all. Well, we were like listening, to, and and it was when we it was fact it was when we first um, when we first said we were gonna do this episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just playing my video game. And uh, listening to it on my phone, and and Deja could hear it. She was just like, "What the fuck song is this?" You know, and I started listening to a little more to the lyrics. You know, she's like, "Listen to these lyrics." I'm just like, "What the fuck, dude?" I don't know. It just, I mean, it's nothing crazy. It's just it fucking cracked me up, dude. Because it's tell me what I got to do to make my life mean more to you. I could get so close. It's true. If I was your mother, and then it's. John Bon Jovi singing that. I don't know. Just reading the... Uh, it the, seems like something more like for Nancy Wilson, Ann Wilson or fucking, you know, Melissa Etheridge or something, you know? Like, I, I, you know, Pat Benatar or something, you know? I mean... It's credited to both Richie Sambora and John Bon Jovi. Yeah. So, I, it's... Yeah. It's just so weird hearing Bon Jovi sing a song called If I Was Your Mother. Yeah. Maybe that's where they uh, they got the idea for if you want to be my lover from. Uh, but yeah, music musically, man, the music on is pretty fucking good, man. I mean, I I, I definitely liked that part of it, but yeah. holy shit, I cannot believe that's your number four. Yeah, I guess now that I'm looking at the lyrics, it's like, oh yeah, I guess I remember that. It's just like the same thing over and over and over. It's oh uh, yeah yeah interesting. Yeah, that's like that, that Desmond Child shit, man. Like you know, you find your fucking chorus, your hook line, you know, and I mean, you say it a lot. So, I mean, that's really all there is to it. It was more about the vibe to me. It was just, it's an interesting album in the way that is, yeah, it's it's a, a band trying to find out who they really are when uh, when uh, the rest of their world's kind of slipping away from them. What's their actual identity? Right. You know? And that well, yeah, wasn't I mean, even their final too, form. This is, yeah, this is kind of, um, this is kind of like, I mean, this is like knee deep in grunge. Yeah, yeah. That, and you could tell that was a big influence on the album after that, you know? They said they're the the biggest. I'm surprised I'm not more interested in the one after that, especially because I'm always like, 
you never forget your first and all that. It just didn't grab my attention that much. But it's interesting to see that forget if let's let's say that uh, between album never came out and it went straight from New Jersey to that. It's be like, wow, what happened here? And they specifically oh, yeah. cited Tool, Pearl Jam, and Nine Inch Nails as influences on that album. Interesting. So I'm surprised I'm not gravitated there's, more towards it. There's a song on Keep the Faith. I'm curious to see if it's going to be on your list. Oh, that that's it after that. Oh, okay. There's no more Keep the um, Faith. Have you ever listened to the song Keep the Faith? Yeah. I, I mean, when that's, I was doing the research. <laughs> there's a lot of bands. Skid Row is another one. that Around the same time, you know, Grunge was really getting huge keep the faith sounds like one of those uh alternative grunge style songs done by a hair metal slash rock band yeah you know like that that was kind of a thing that a lot of bands were doing i don't know it it reminds me of i don't know it almost reminds me of something like collective soul would do yeah yeah you know or soul asylum one of the two trying to remember which one was even which it's there's an, there's another band I'm trying to think of. I can't think of the name of it, but um, just that whole toad the wet sprocket kind I, of thing. I think, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's another one. I think the the band I'm thinking of is Collective Soul, if I remember right. But I I get what you mean. It's like it's not. It was like when alternative rock didn't even mean alternative rock anymore. It's just like. Here's what was being labeled alternative rock, and it was just this very radio friendly, not too abrasive. It definitely wasn't grunge, where like grunge was kind of the more dingy and maybe dangerous one, right? Like this was just kind of, oh, hey, you could play this on acoustic guitar or electric. You know what I mean? It's that whole thing. Not even the Matchbox 20s of the world or the um, Third Eye Blinds that would come later, but that's definitely what gave way to that. You remember Tonic? Dude, okay. Listen to Keep the Faith. Mm-hmm. And then go listen to Heavy by Collective Soul. Do it do it right now. Just pop Collective Soul Heavy. I think it's like number five on their fucking top five or whatever. Uh, and then just scrub it to like, I don't know, a minute in. That's that style. Like it It's weird. I, I don't know what to call that because it's not grunge, but it's not really alternative either. Yeah, it's just it's it's what was being peddled as alternative. Right, rock. it's 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 um. Hmm. I'm know, intrigued. It's, it's, I don't recognize this album cover. I recognize the other one with the weird dude holding the sign. I remember seeing that everywhere. Yeah, I, I didn't recognize the album cover either. Oh, man. you know like, what though? I'll bet you I know what song this is. That fucking. Yeah, I don't even need to hear it now. It's exactly what I thought it was. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. I know. Yeah. That's. I mean, it's see. dude. It's just like keep the faith. So I mean, it's like that's kind of like. Well, how can we get these fucking bands to do like a grunge quote unquote type thing? Yeah. Without doing a grunge thing, you know, and and it, so it was like, well, let's just have them do this, you know, and mm-hmm. so strange, dude. So yeah, fucking. I strange. haven't heard that song in maybe twenty five years. Neither ish. have I, dude. Yeah. So it's funny you say that because it's just like I remember that's when it's like the more glossy. Okay, before active rock radio is maybe even a term, right? Because I definitely heard that on 105.3. I remember <laughs> when 105.3 played Matchbox 20 when they first came out. You know what I mean? It's it's There was a weird yeah. ambiguity in the air when they just didn't. Oh, yeah. When they just kind of threw everything in the same box, which I kind of liked, but like some of it. <laughs> 
Yeah, for that sure. That was a weird time, man. But no, I totally get what you mean. Because like, I'll bet you Bon Jovi is what gave way to that. You know what I mean? That era, 90s Bon Jovi, which is its own beast, especially considering now upon reflection, there was only two albums in the 90s. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. wild, man. And that would have been the only one I was familiar with for years. And I'm only talking about <laughs> one album that I saw one song from once on live television late at night. You know what I mean? It's a skewed view. But no, uh, that's that's totally right. It's that was that was an interesting time. And that and the what's the fucking name? I can never remember. It's these days, right? If you got the discography up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the that ninety five one. one, yeah. Yeah. I always remember seeing that album cover, funny enough, with the collective soul one with the dude holding up the sign. And there's like the, there's this this group of album covers that you always saw everywhere because it was being pushed all at the same time. In Kmart, you know, like that was the it was the safe enough for Kmart kind of thing. Let alone Walmart, where they censored stuff. They had special Walmart editions of albums and stuff. But no, it's yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that. Whereas I'd never seen, I don't remember seeing that Keep the Faith album cover, but I must have. Same with all the other Bon Jovi album covers. You know, it's like that and um, some of the White Snake ones. Not the obvious ones, but the ones where it's let's just like the White Snake logo. It's just kind of nondescript. Like yeah. you see the, you know the logo, but it's like not the most burned into your memory thing. It's just that whole era of stuff. Interesting time. Are we on to number three then for you? Huge one. You give love a bad name. Okay, Shot so. The heart, oh, dude. Big gang vocals. Fuck. This was the first single on the album. And I mean, Jesus Christ, dude. I, this was. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it was fucking huge, dude, which is weird because it's definitely not the most. I mean, Living on a Prayer is the bigger song. But again, that's because this one blew up so fucking hard that when they released Living on a Prayer, it was like, holy shit, dude. It just fucking blew the fucking doors off the whole like hair metal glam scene because you had kind of new guys doing this. It's weird because it's ultra commercial, but not... This one isn't as poppy. This one is more like an old school fucking rock song, you know, that just happened to have, you know, a little bit of keyboard, good guitar solo, good guitar sound on it as well. That fucking, like that shit's fucking cool as fuck. You know, and then you fuck, whoa, you know, like the big, big whammy dive, a little bit of a fucking, you know, a lick there. You can hear the bit, do, 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 do. You know, like, I mean, you can hear, I mean, everybody's fucking representing this one. It builds up, then that fucking shot through the heart, you know, with like the, the all of them singing. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, it was so fucking cool. And then, then you know, the music video was, was huge too. It was just a performance video. But another thing that these guys did, like in their music video, like, well, up until one, which is next on my list, but they, like, they always looked like they were having so much fucking fun. You know, not saying none of the other hair metal bands did, but these guys definitely looked like, you know, we're just having a good time. You know, like John up there singing with a big fucking smile on his face. You know, I mean, it was, it was huge. And I mean, it's got this fucking, wow, 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 like big fucking, and then it's got that little, um, and he's got a little fucking shreddy ass fucking solo in this thing. And then it drops out. Everything drops out, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like, what is it? Claps? I get, I haven't gotten there yet, but. Oh, no, it's the fucking big toms. Right, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's the big fucking gang chant shit. And then it's... And then it's just the drums. 
you know, still going. And then all of a sudden, everything comes in again. And it's just like, it's glorious, dude. It's a, again, it's another fucking like rock slash hair metal, metal, whatever, Hall of Fame song. I mean, it was huge. And then what I wanted to say before with the covers, dude, listening to fucking Atreyu do this song was so fucking awesome, dude. That's the first time I had ever heard this song, period, was their cover. <laughs> So when I of finally course. heard it, I was like, oh, okay. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. I, I, mean, I actually it's... had to sing it at a wedding for karaoke once, only knowing the Atreyu version. So that's actually the first time I would have heard the Bon Jovi version is at that wedding, and I had to kind of wing it based <laughs> on what I knew. I was like, how, okay, how how much liberty did they take? We're going to find out here in a sec. And <laughs> well, they did, they did it did pretty right. true, man. They did it pretty yeah. true. And they... You know, for their style that they were playing at the time, I mean, they really didn't need to change much. I mean, and and then I saw them do it live. And yes. instead of the fucking toms, the doo, doo, they had everybody clapping. Mm-hmm. You know, like doing the claps and shit, overhead clapping. Like it was, it was so much fun during that song. And they, I mean, they looked like they were having a good, was that Soma, dude? Uh, I think it was side stage. No, it was main stage, but I mean... Was this when they did uh It was New when Year's? they were with Lamb of, This was when they were with Lamb oh, of God. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, but and it was I mean, later that same year. Okay. It was them with Every Time I Die and Lamb of God. And I mean, it they, yeah. looked, they looked like they were just having a good time on the stage. You know, they're mm-hmm. all, you know, walking around. You know, like all that yeah. shit. Like, it was fucking cool, man. And I mean, I've... This is this was why I was like, okay, like I said, I have two on here. But this was one where it's like, I don't care how many times I hear this song. So It'll it's always... It'll always remind me of fucking seventh grade, dude. And it'll always fucking remind me of having a good time. It's funny you mentioned Atreyu at Soma because I did see them play this song at Soma, but it was New Year's Eve going into 2005. They timed it to where they started the song. They, they did a countdown for New Year's Eve and they started 2005 with Shot Through the Heart and You're to Blame. And then nice. they go from there. It was, it was an awesome way. I oh, have yeah. ever... New Year's Eve shows at Soma used to pop off, dude. That was like the first big one. It was um, it was supposed to be Terror was the first band on the main stage. And then uh, I think it was Frank, who was still in Terror at the time, couldn't make it because Ohio was snowy and they couldn't get plans off the ground. So at the last minute, they got 18 visions. And the reason it was even a bigger deal than it would be otherwise is because it was 18 visions. After that, it was Throwdown and then Bleeding Through, who all were kind of the same group of dudes playing together for the first time in years. Then it was as I lay dying. And then it was, um, then it was a tray you. And then they had a bunch of local bands on the side stage. And just to think about that lineup back in 2004, going into 2005, dude. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an episode for another time though. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an undeniable hit, dude. It's not, looking at Spotify. It's way higher than I thought it would be, but I don't know what else. I, I guess I thought, uh, wanted dead or alive would be higher, but I guess that's just me. Cause it's definitely not as you can see. So yeah, man, shout out that, uh, anything else you wanted to add to that one? No, I'm good, man. Like, I mean, if you haven't heard this song, which seems weird to me, but mm-hmm. which I don't so, know why that seems weird. I mean, well, because movies and commercials and, and, uh, sporting events and shit like that. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. It's hard for me to imagine somebody that hasn't heard the song, but again, we're not trapped, so there's pretty easy for someone to not have to, you know, hear this anymore. So. Exactly. Um, yeah. But if you haven't, man, check it out. It's a really fucking good song. What is your number three? 
So my number three, I just think it's funny because if I asked you to guess my list, I would have never figured that you would be able to. And then you just pulled out my number four out of your ass like it was nothing. I don't see lightning striking twice, but let's just see. What album? It's a song off of Slippery When Wet. My only song off of Slippery When Wet proper that made it onto the album. Wow. So is it Let It Rock? No, it's none of the, the larger ones. It's uh, Wild in the Streets, the last proper album <laughs> oh, trop. Yeah. Because we again, wild, it's about... Wild yeah. in the Streets. It, it reminds me of like an 80s movie. And it's funny because like I yeah, was trying dude, this to figure is like- out... The wrestler guy fucking trying to cut weight and he's all running through the fucking yeah 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 <laughs> your it's training like, montage. I say it reminds me of a movie, but I can't pinpoint a movie that it would be. You know what I mean? It's like not even Caddyshack, but it's like it's something like Caddyshack. You know what I mean? It's just like the idea of Caddyshack. Maybe I don't. know. I could see this. Okay, so it's kind of like a movie about living on a prayer, mm-hmm. but like this is all the fucking shit that Tommy is doing. With his boys, you know, like on the fucking weekend when Gina is at work at the diner all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's running with his boys, dude. And it's like, this is like the montage scene where Mm -hmm. like they get in a fucking big old fight, dude. And he just goes and gets fucking wild in the streets, man. It precedes it going into I Die For You, which is the scene where they get back together and everything's Mm -hmm. all good. But yeah, that's rock opera. There we go. There's that's the scene to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that fucking paints a much more vivid picture than I even had. You know, it's it's a pretty <laughs> loose vibe for me. Just fucking eighties again reminds me of being a kid. You know, we need to do episodes on that. We just throw throw songs at each other, and we ha- the other person has to fucking make a movie scene out of it. <laughs> oh, I could have some fun with that. But that, I that tell could you be what, pretty dude. fun time, man. Yeah. Uh, did you ever watch Workaholics? No, I've I've, I've seen. I think I saw part of an episode one time. I feel like it's one of those ones you'd have to have been there to watch now. I feel like even not even being a decade old, it's kind of dated. But there was one scene they worked a pig destroyer into that I thought was nice. It was great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this shit is like classic, like what people think of when they think of like 80s rock. So there's a scene. I know you're you're not a Simpsons guy. There's a scene where... um, they discover Mr. Burns has a long lost son and it turns out it's Rodney Dangerfield and he's Larry Burns and it's pretty much literally just Rodney Dangerfield with a with a Mr. Burns nose and they have a scene at the end where it's um it's them just getting up on cars dancing to this music and somebody asks even wait where is that music even coming from and it's um any way you want it from uh Journey Cause that's just the kind of shit that would have happened in a ruddy danger field movie. You know what I mean? It's that vibe. And that's what I'm all about. You know, that's, that's, that's the vibe I'm going for right here. Speaking of vibes, what is your number two? Yeah. Wild in the street. That's a good jam. Like I said, dude, the whole album, speaking of that album, dude, wanted dead or live is my number two. I kind of regret not putting this in my honorable mentions. So, yeah, I'm not the video guy, but I, this is, the, I mean, I know we did a video episode a long time ago. We didn't put it out. It, it, when we do another one, this, I, because I, I mean, I have to remember this one. Like, this video to me was like one of the best videos because it like really went with the song really well, metaphorically, obviously, but not necessarily. I mean, 
it is kind of like we're getting so popular that we're wanted dead or alive. Like they don't even care if in good health, just as long as we perform, right? It, it doesn't right. matter for dead or you know dead or alive. They just want you know we're just wanted, right? I mean that's. But man, there's scenes in this video where, you know, he's in the fucking bus, just looking out the fucking window, and he just looks so fucking down, like just so beat down, dude. You know, and like sometimes you know the day by the bottle that you drink. Like I mean musically you know i'm not like into country but the difference is he doesn't sing it with a country twang and that's the difference i mean that's why i can love a song like this but i can't love you know other like actual country songs right well it's like actual honest to god cowboy music right it's not yeah. like pop country of the time well, i mean I would, that's a big difference no like as far as what i want to listen to musically i would rather listen to the pop country stuff because it's less country than country that's but this doesn't okay. sound like country to me. This sounds like an acoustic rock song. Yeah, it's because like it actual honest twang. to God. Yeah, what you know, they would like, be playing around the campfires and shit. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes when you're alone, all you do is think. Like, I love the fucking, you know, on a steel horse I ride. That was a big thing when I was younger. You know, everybody talk about steel horses and shit. I had a friend that wanted to start a band called Steel Horse and all this shit. Or he said he was in a band called Steel Horse, like whatever. It, it was kind of a big thing, you know, and I mean, you know, yeah, we grew up in Idaho, so I mean, this song was like really big there. Mm-hmm. But the way that it kicks in, you know, when it, it it kind of dies out with those acoustics, you know, and then, oh, and I ride, like you can sing this whole solo. It's one of my favorite fucking guitar solos, you know, and then there's the fucking back it up real quick the acoustics sound great on this song everything sounds so good on this song i don't is this produced by the fairman guy yeah yeah and i mean mixed by bob Rock. great yeah. fucking job man but then there's the build-up when i walk these streets you know loaded six string on my back like that shit's so fucking cool you know and then there's the part where he says i've seen a million faces but and i've rocked them all Right when he says, I rocked them all, like the video editor, he's standing on stage from a back view. He's standing on stage, you know, kind of black in front of him, right? And he's, I seen a million faces and I rocked. And right when he says that, dude, the lights come onto the crowd and you can see just a wall of people in front of him, you know, because it's kind of a close up shot on him. It just, you know, one of the few times a music video really took a song. You know, visually for me, which isn't a huge thing, it visually made it better for me, you know, and it was one of the few times that's ever happened. And I mean, Richie going back and forth with him on the, and I ride, and I, you know, and him singing the harmonies on the, on the chorus part and whatnot. Like, it's so fucking cool, dude. Also, shout out to the version on Rock of Ages. You ever heard that? Like, have you ever seen that movie, Rock of Ages? Oh, dude, you gotta no, watch it. I, I know for sure I can't do that. That seemed like everything I hate about hair metal in movie form. You know what I mean? Dude, Which it's might be so a reason good. to watch it as a challenge. I fucking love it, man. Like, I took Romeo and, and his friend Jeremiah to go see it one time. I mean, these two fucking I mean, they weren't, I don't even think they were like 10 years old yet. I mean, they're in their fucking, in the movie theater, dude, literally seeing every fucking word. What year did that come out? That's what I'm trying to figure out. If you're yeah, saying I mean, they weren't even ten yet, it was it was so funny, man. Like, and I thought people were gonna be getting pissed, and some guy came up to me after the fucking show, and he's all fucking, he's all they knew every word, man. That's fucking awesome, you know. <laughs> 2012, so I could see that. So yeah, they're about 11 years sooner. old. 
Hmm. Wait, no. 2012? So yeah, they were probably mm-hmm. like nine years old. Damn. I can remember my son's birthday. Fuck. Anyway, around there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good time. And I mean, I've watched it a couple times since. Like, it's just, it's so much fucking fun, dude. Like, seeing Tom Cruise fucking. That's know, what kind of dissuaded me. After, as, I mean, as aside the from Axel the trailer. Rose worn yeah. out character. And oh, dude, it's so fucking great, man. Like, I fucking, uh, I love it, dude. Seeing, seeing Russell Brand in there with Alec Baldwin. I remember seeing Alec Baldwin in the trailers. It's, you know, and then you got the you got the Tipper Gore PMRC fucking character with uh, Catherine Zeta Jones, dude. And I mean, they do a bunch of like mashups with some of the fucking songs. And I mean, it's it's so fucking cool of a song. And I mean, this was a fucking good one. But this is another one. This song will never get old to me. It'll it'll never. I'll I'll just never be able to hear it. And not not say I'll never be able to hear it enough. I I mean I don't really listen to it all the time. It's just. You do hear it all, a lot at at place, you know, times and places, and and it's just never gotten old to me. You know, it's just fucking another music hall of fame, you know, song. I mean, and I'm I'm surprised it's not higher as far as plays go. Yeah, it, me it, too. It makes me wonder, actually, like why? You know, because it's two hundred twenty nine million plays, but I mean, you give love a bad name is second on the fucking on the uh album with 556 million plays i mean that's quite a few more you know and then living on a prayer has 754 million plays so that's two really big jumps so i was really surprised to see that it only had 229 million be honest we'll get into it on the top songs I, i don't even know that i know the fourth one interesting so on that note my number two you want to take a crack at this one if I tell you it's 7,800 Fahrenheit? <laughs> okay. Are so, you surprised there's even anything yeah, on that album? Yeah, I am. Oh, I am. Okay. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of what it would be. Think Secret, of my trajectory so like, far. Secret vibe. Dreams? Uh, no. This one's a random one. This is To the Fire, Six. second to last oh, track. Secret Dreams reminds me of almost like a Def Leppard song. Mm, um, to that. the Fire. Mm-hmm. See if you can pinpoint why I like it so much if you if you click on it right now. It's fucking it's the vibe, dude. It's 80s to a T. Oh yeah. It's another one of those this is the this is the end credits music. You know what I mean? To the sequel if not the actual Dude, this movie. is like Tommy's fucking about to fucking beat down this dude that's trying to get with Gina at the fucking diner, dude. Mhm. And he's like meeting him out in the fucking alley and that him and his boys are walking through the alley. Yeah, dude. You know what I mean? It paints a picture. That's kind of the, my recurring, or yeah, recurring theme with this. I like the drums in this one. It's a little bit different. You know, all the top. Yeah. I don't want to fall to the fire. Yeah, dude, he's ready to take on Gina's ex. Actually, that's what it is. He's gonna go take out Gina's ex, dude. Without her wanting yeah. to. That's what started the fight in the first place. Yeah, and then he had to get wild in the streets. That's what yeah, it man. is, man. Yeah, yeah, that's a fucking good one, man. Like again, like I said, I mean that one's that one's a pretty good album. You know, especially for a second album. And uh, wow, we totally skipped my number four. But that's okay. <laughs> nice. I'll I'll just say the number four real quick because it kind of coincides yeah, with yeah, this yeah. where the first album just wasn't quite there. You know, like not yet. It was like Okay, well, 
we got this first album out now let's see what we can do with this thing right and, and i'm sure there's people in their ears saying you know, hey you need to step it up whatever right but my number four was runaway you know and you never forget your first except there's this fucking part at the end where he hits the fucking high oh and then he doesn't say like she's a little runaway he's like fucking and he's not saying any words he's like he's like really straining to hit that fucking note dude and it kills me fucking like i mean it's so fucking funny but i mean you just can't beat that fucking keyboard at the start of it. So, this was in my five. I, um, I'm going to call it a retrospective honorable mention just because we can. Uh, I mean, it's, dude, it's cool, but I mean, it's, this is one that almost reminds me of like a journey song. You know, a journey yeah. on the more rock side of journey, you know? What, around what journey would have been doing at the time, you know? Right, I mean? right, yeah. Like, yeah, man, I it was it was in my five until others took its place. It was pretty high up because it, it, it again it doesn't remind it's not full fledged hair metal by that point. Away. You know, as close as they got, it's it's like this weird in and out of that and like yeah, like just working class commercial hard rock, whatever you want to call it. You know, from that time period, that's it, it's its own thing, kind of. You know. Going back to those first two albums, it's it's what a lot of bands face sometimes where it's like, yeah, it's not the it's not the big multi-million selling classic every song's a single hits that those next two albums were. But if you take them for what they are, they're just pretty good. You know what dude, I mean? It's not is, like they're bad. This is the fucking introduction to Gina in the movie, dude. Yeah. 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 The, before she even meets Tommy, dude, when he's working uh, on the docks, dude. Yo, who's that? <laughs> oh, that? No, you don't want to mess with yeah, her, man. She's a little That's runaway, Gina. dude. You don't yeah. want to fuck with that. She's dude. bad news. <laughs> you know what else I thought was pretty weird? They actually have a song on here called "Shot Through the Heart." Yeah, that's what I got. It's like, is that a prequel to? Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? There is, there is. You it's give you love give a bad, love name, a bad name begins. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that. I'm glad you brought that up. I almost forgot that. That is strange. Good on him, man. Is there anything? Is there a video for this? It occurs to me I should have watched some sure. of the videos. Okay, that might have even been before videos were a thing. I don't. Is there recall any? ever fucking seeing a video for Runaway. So let me ask you this: Do you have anything to add to this one? To Runaway? Yeah. No. Okay. No. That's... What if I was to tell you my number one was from this album? Dude, what the fuck? No way. Okay, hold on. All right, hold on. Let me let me bring it back up here, dude. Fuck that. Tell me it's Breakout. Uh, no, but that was pretty Damn up there, it. too. There's some on here that's like, man, I wasn't expecting this album. You know what I mean? It really is its own thing. Like, like it's just a cool-ass 80s rock album, for lack of better definition. The Get Ready? No. Damn. All right, what is it? So, I mentioned that they're kind of ashamed of these first two albums. And so, aside from Runaway, they didn't play any of the other songs. And then at an anniversary concert, as kind of a commemorative thing... Years later, they play the second track from Bon Jovi, the self-titled album, Roulette. Oh. That, yep, 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 yep. And again, it's just like, okay, I've heard Runaway enough times. It's like one of the, it's, a, it's one I've probably been able to hear enough times on, if not one hand, then two, like the amount of times I've heard it. Yeah. 
So then when I play this, I'm like, ooh, okay. You know what I mean? It's like, talk about something I've never heard before. So, oh, this is just a fun ass. It's It reminds me of Journey, what Journey was doing around then. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a cool ass song. Ooh. All about the vibe. <laughs> yeah. This is when. It's a good yeah, rocking you know I mean? fucking tune, man. This is when the Tommy and the gang are walking through like the carnival, right? And they're like, like kind of playfully not being a dick to anybody, but one of them knocks a snow cone out of a kid's hand or whatever and just kind of goes, ah, kidding, even though that's kind of a fucked up thing to do. Like, it's a rocker. We're bringing back the term rocker. Just like uh, Judas Priest would have around that time. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah, that was another one of your lists that really surprised me too was the priest one. Yeah, this uh, one's- a whole list of rockers, dude. Straight up. This one's got like a nice solo in it too, dude. In hindsight, it makes me wonder if listening to the uh, it's almost like, the jam, and, like that thing I talk about, where it's like the jam after the jam. Yeah, yeah, that's what know? I'm saying. It was like I, I've heard this song a million times. What comes after it? I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, it's making this whole conversation is making me wonder if um, listening to the Orianthe Richie Sambora collaborative project is worth anything. Because I mean, she's a good guitarist too. I'd be curious to hear what that sounds like now. But yeah, man, that's my number one. Roulette from the self-titled album. Which then begs Hell the question. Yeah, that's very surprising to me, but it is. I mean, they really do take off pretty quick. I mean, once they get their foot in the door, man, I mean, it, they don't really fuck around a whole lot, dude. And now it's time. What is your number one? It starts off just keyboards. And then it breaks into this fucking... Like this weird, and the keyboard has like an organy vibe to it, which is really weird for the time because it, it almost doesn't sound 80s enough, you know, until the and like has nothing to do with the fucking rest of the song. Because, like, once I mean, once it all fucking ends, you know, it just comes in with the fucking four on the four. It's Let It Rock, dude. First song on Slippery When Wet. It's the jam before the jam. Dude, I'll never forget like how I fucking felt the first time I heard this song. Because this is the first song on the album. You know, like I said, 70 at this time when this album came out, I mean, 7,800 degrees didn't exist to me. Bon Jovi was pretty much just like, ah, it's pretty much runaway. But I mean, the weekend comes to this town seven days too soon. Like, Let It Rock, which, okay, Def Leppard had a song called Let It Rock also, which I actually probably like more than this one. <laughs> but Fair. in general, yeah. I like Def Leppard more than Bon Jovi. So, I mean, it makes sense. But they get into this fucking, you said it's all right, all right. If you have, you know, they have the all oh, right, and then the gang fucking all oh, right, and if you have a good time, all right, all right, da 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 I don't know. It's it's almost like this is the song that introduces Tommy. 
while he's working on the fucking docks, he's got his little Walkman fucking thing. He's fucking doing yeah, his thing, you know. He takes a break to stare into the ass, sun. Dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah like the, he's just fucking busting ass, dude. Like, and he's just like ready. And then it's like a little montage. He's getting off work with the dudes. They're breaking open fucking beers, dude. They're fucking having a good time, whatever. It's got that strut beat, that strut tempo, and there's a lot of little keyboard stabs, you know, like wee wee wee, you know, like these weird little things. But not a lot of ton of, like, not, again, like, a lot of their stuff. Not a ton of keyboards. But I just really like the way, uh, I guess it would be the bridge. I, I like the bridge going right into that chorus. And then just that melody line of the chorus, man. Like, Sam Bora fucking has, again, another great lead. Fairly shreddy. He, he wasn't full on, like, oh, I'm just going to play the typical blues thing. Not saying that he's terrible at that. He's very good at that as well, but... It just seemed like earlier in his career he was flexing a little bit more. I could see, you know, that. and later in his career he's trying to get you to feel more with with the guitar, you know, like that sort of thing. Like he's trying to evoke something a little bit more. Where this was, he was kind of like showing off a little bit more. Um, could have been trying to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, everybody else was. This is '86. Eddie Van Halen's been around for a while. So is George Lynch. So. You know, you want to get talked about as a guitar player. I mean, you kind of have to keep up with those two. And and I mean. Right. But he's very, I don't want to say tasteful, but, you know, none of his solos go super long. A lot of them do go with the melody line or play like a little, they have a start in a, in a middle and an end in his solos, which I always thought was really fucking cool. I always really like it um, when solos do that, you know, when they're like a mini song inside the song. You say, you know, you never forget your first. It's like, yeah, Runaway was the first, but this was the first one that I really loved. And I mean, I loved it the second I heard it. To give you how much I loved it the second I fucking heard it. I mean, you give love a bad name's right after it. And then right after that's living on a prayer. You know, it's like that's a three song opening trifectacles, yeah, sure. dude. It's the trifectacles. Do a fucking Is that a new hashtag? <laughs> we'll have to do a fucking episode on top five trifectacles, three songs to start off mm. an album. I mean, it's just so fucking cool. It's a hell of a way to start off an album. I just I just I, I would say the only knock on it would be like, you know, maybe you could have given me that keyboard intro as a separate track, right. you know, as the intro. But I guess there is a point to that intro. I do like how the intro, the keyboard intro kind of lulls you to sleep a little bit. And then all of a sudden, it boom, 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 boom. You know, like that fucking four on the floor, fist pumper, dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's in that sense, man, it works out pretty well. Fucking solid innings, man. I tell you. I mean, dude's obviously a hit factory, still going. Oh yeah, it's funny. Dude, fuck. Maybe I'm maybe I'm gauging this the wrong way because the thing that comes immediately to mind is Metallica, but like I'm just like I'm surprised that the other albums didn't sell way more. You know, if you're selling seven million of New Jersey and twelve of um of Slippery When Wet, and like the only other. You know, the highest any of those other albums would have gone was double platinum, and it's only a handful, and it's just like... Those are the later for, ones, right? Yeah, and like, I think it's the first two only sold a million. Yeah, even the one, uh, Crush or whatever, is that the one with um, It's My Life and yeah. all that? That was only two million, and that's around the height of CDs and stuff, so I'm surprised it didn't sell more. I don't know. Yeah, that's but again, 2000. Like, but yeah, I think, like, I mean, I again, think in maybe, 2000, it's like, okay, you're lucky you got the one song. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, but just like thinking how big that fucking song was, 
I was just well, like, yeah, but I mean, like I said, you're in 2000 at playing that style of music. You're lucky you got that one song, dude. Because yeah, no, that's true. nothing else around that time was like that. Yeah. And, and nothing, certainly, not, I mean, I, I'm sure there's stuff that was as big. Maybe that was well, like that. I can't, I can't think of anything that was like that. Lincoln Park, dude. Well, yeah, that, but I mean, that, that same year. Well, yeah, but I'm just like, saying, like, that's, yeah, Lincoln Park is nothing like It's My Life. I, you know, so I know, like, I'm just saying, like. So, yeah, I mean. You would think, like, in the rock slash metal realm, I mean, yeah, that's that same year. It's like, dude, there's nothing really like that. So I would yeah. say you're lucky you got that one and that your album even sold that many copies because that's also right in the height of Napster as well. That's true. But it's just like, is fucking the Bon Jovi audience even the Napster audience? Even at the height of Napster, they are because that Roach was selling dude, that's like, fucking that's millions. That's my age, my age and up, dude, a little bit. We're all the ones that had the money to get the fucking fifty-six k modems, so that you or and cable modems, so that you could download a shitload of shit from Napster. That wasn't fucking eighteen-year-old kids, man. That was dudes my age and a little bit above. So that was probably all the kids that are younger. That's probably their parents that were fucking downloading all that shit, dude. Because Napster was fucking huge, dude. Like it was massive. Oh, yeah. And there's plenty of people older, Bon Jovi fans included, that are fucking music freaks. That, oh, shit, I don't have to fucking pay for it right now? Like, fuck, yeah. Like, I'm going to fucking grab everything I can, you know? That's a big thing when it comes, especially back then, when it comes to buying music, man. I mean, a lot of that wasn't kids, man. Kids didn't have that kind of money. You know, it was the older mm-hmm. people. That, I mean, they had more money. They had the disposable income. They they were the ones that were working the jobs that, were, that had the money, you know? And then the older than that, they were the ones that were buying it for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, because not all the kids back then really fucking worked. We, it, was, yeah, it was still at that point true. where they all really didn't have to very much. But their number 10 song is off that same album, uh, Thank You For Loving Me. But it only has 46 million. It's the only, it's one of two songs that I mean, Bad Medicine is number, would be number nine with 94 million. So, I mean, it's almost at 100 million, right? And then everything mm. else is 100 million or up. I'll Be There For You is 111 million. That would be number eight. Runaway is 125.5 million. That's at number seven. Bed of Roses is at 188.5 million. That one was in a soundtrack of a movie. I cannot remember what the fuck it was, though. Then Wanted Dead or Alive at 229 million. Always at 275 million. So that's a newer one. Oh, okay. It's My Life is their third at 412.8 million. But, I mean, that's almost like the safest way to say fuck you right is that what that is that's the safest rebel- rebellious song i've ever heard yeah you know yeah, yeah. so all the older that, all the older what? people that want to rebel but they quite can't because they you know you can't quit your job you can't tell your wife yeah to fuck yeah, off or your yeah husband to fuck off you can't yeah you know your your parents are probably close to kicking the bucket you want to get your inheritance so you can't tell them to fuck off you know what i always paired that song with because it was around the same time it was it's a beautiful day by um you too, who was also kind of having their comeback moment at that same time. That was kind of their second wave or whatever. I always kind of conflated those two with one another. Late Which 90s, one? early 2000s. It's a beautiful day by you too. I just kind of got that say, you know, it's that comeback. Hey, we're going back to what kind of worked as far as anthemic songs. Cause even you two had that weird experimental period in the nineties. I mean, we're talking extreme ends when it comes to you too and all that yeah. shit, but like, Always was actually it, a single off of a Greatest Hits album, so it's kind of like a one-off. Okay. And yet I don't know which one it is. It's a little power ballad thing. Yeah. I guess I could have I mean, the, that's or, probably know. half their catalog, so. 
I was going to say, yeah. Huh. And it's got this weird, like, underwater organ in it. You've heard that like sound, right? Phrasing. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I just never heard it put that way. I just, but it's it's true. It's just funny to think about that. I've never known the name of it, but mm-hmm. I, mean, I guess it's just probably vibrato. Or... I'm trying to see what year that was. It was ninety. That was ninety four. So it's between. So in so in the, in the nineties, they had the two albums plus they had the greatest hits that had probably I think probably had like a couple songs on it. Right, and then obviously the top two: "You Give Love a Bad Name" at five fifty six, and "Living on a Prayer" at seven hundred fifty four mil point six. I'm looking at the list. I'm not really surprised by any of it. Pretty amazing fucking numbers they've got going on, man. I mean, they've got eighteen, I'll, I'll pretty much nineteen million monthly listeners. They're still connecting with people, dude. Like I said, there's a lot of those people that oh, I fucking grew up and out of the heavy phase, but I still want rock. So yeah, for sure. There's yeah. probably more of those people than actual. I grew up and I still like heavy music. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, so safe, safe rock, safe safety rock. rock. Yeah, safety rock. There we go. That's a good way yeah. to fucking put it. Bon Jovi, safety rock. You know, but yeah, good on. But it's cool because I mean, those are still people that are listening. They they still want guitars. Yeah. You know, like that's cool because guitar has died out quite a bit. You know, especially I mean, as far as popular music goes, guitar has died right. out quite a bit. You know, so it's kind of nice that people, st- you know, there's a lot of people, there's 19 million people that are still into fucking guitar oriented rock and roll. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Fucking A. Couldn't have put it better. Are you one of these people that like the latter era of Bon Jovi more than anything else? Have you seen the John Carpenter's vampire sequel where Bon Jovi's the star? Hit us up. We want to know. We want to talk to you in general. We're going to be cranking these out a Dude, little bit. Dude, have you seen Homegrown, which is a movie about a weed growing town and two dudes stumble across someone else's fucking weed farm and then they're fucking getting chased i think john bon jovi is the main owner of the weed farm that they've stumbled onto that sounds familiar that's who he is in that movie i haven't seen that movie in a long time but jamie lee curtis is the mayor of the weed smoking town and there's a line, I think she says, all right, let's get baked, you know, when she's ad- addressing this, like, hemp fest or something. Like, not a funny movie, a uh, pretty serious movie, you know, serious-ish. Very, it was pretty cool. I liked it. I don't know what I would think of it now, but <laughs> let me know if you've seen Homegrown, man. I'm looking up the stuff for it right now. No mention of John Bon Jovi, but I, oh, no, there it is. Okay. Huh. Also. It's not a comedy? <sighs> I remember the trailer for this. I mean, now. there's probably some funny parts, but I wouldn't call it a comedy. I guess it's, it's billed it's as a dark comedy. Dark is what comedy. It says. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I which could mean anything. Totally really. forgot John Lithgow is in it. But yeah, I mean, listen to this cast: John Lithgow, you know, Ryan Phillippe, Hank Azaria, Billy Bob Thornton, Kelly Lynch, John Bon Jovi, Judge Reinhold, Jamie Lee Curtis, Ted Danson. Now, a lot of these: uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Steve Carell, who's uncredited. A lot of those are. Um, Kind of like cameos at the big hemp fest thing. So. But right. pretty decent movie from what I remember. Let me know if you've seen it. Also, let me know if you're down to make this fucking Gina and Tommy movie, dude. Let's make it fucking happen. <laughs> Gina and Tommy. Gina and a Tommy. A rock opera. That's her name, right? Gina? Gina works the diner all yeah. day, right? Or, or is it Tina? Yeah, sure. I think it's yeah, Gina. I don't, I don't remember. I'm gonna say we can go with it. I'm gonna say fucking Gina, dude. I'm a- it's open to interpretation at this point. It's been long enough. <laughs> but yeah, hit us up, folks. We love hearing from you. It's been a minute. 
fucking talk to talk us up. I'm at yes it is I David fucking everywhere. Jason, you can find usually manning all our stuff at Metalist Pod on Twitter or Metalist Podcast everywhere else. Like, rate, review, subscribe, hit us up, say hi. We love talking to you. Yeah, man. Until next time, eat your veggies. Fuck your prayers. While living on them at the same time. Hey. Yeah, right. It was open. Take care till then, folks. Talk to you then. I just looked it up. It's Gina.